On a show that talks about time traveling Bigfoot and alien sex cults, this is serious journalism, people. Serious. <laughs> this time, this like, time we mean it. If you think that there are not birds that are not <laughs> real, you're a moron. I do have a superstition that Satan and his minions yes. interrupt mm. technological yes. connections when conversations are getting yes. particularly interesting or, or important. At this point, I'm not throwing these weirdos out because maybe they're telling the truth. Why does everything have to be a hidden conspiracy where the <laughs> motives aren't really clear? where you can't tell what someone's intentions are from their words. Why, Abby, why? I, I feel like you're just not answering the question. It, there is a pattern here that is definitive, and mm -hmm. this leads us to the CEO's response, yes. which is not the way that you Amazing. wanna play being accused of in a conspiracy theory. Glowing metal things that are moving in impossible speeds and impossible directions, defying laws of physics, showing up over battlefields, showing up over important historical events for all of history. This is Chekhov's gun, you guys. Yeah. It's the gun that's been sitting on the mantelpiece since Act 1. It's Act 3 now. I'm waiting for it to go <clears throat> off. to Conspiracy Pilled Season 3, Episode 12. I feel crazy. Um, and we're talking about aliens again. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> you feel crazy now. We haven't even started the show. And it I, is I a know. crazy, crazy thing. Abby knows nothing about what we're going to talk about. Some people, I'm sure, in the chat or listening later are like, oh, I know something about this. They probably have an idea where it's going. I'm just going to say ahead of time, some people are like, oh, I wish your episodes were shorter. This is not going to be a short one. Too Look, bad. Some everybody else does this in two parts at least. So if you have to um, pause it halfway through, listen to the rest later. It's two parts by your own make. It's a DIY two-parter, guys. That's what I'm saying. So <laughs> do it yourself. I All did right. not sign up for this. <laughs> well, no. Yeah, it really is. Like Some people will take just talking about Paul Benowitz and Richard Doty and that whole story and turn it into one episode. And yeah. they'll talk about Dulce Bass in another episode. But I feel like I want to do it all. I want to do it all at one time. So it might be a little long. Quick shout out to all of our supporters over on Locals. We got uh, Nutsi, Kelsey, and Right Guy, Wrong Era, new monthly supporters over on uh, conspiracypill.locals.com where you get the extra bonus content every week. And we also have C Parish 67 and my favorite name so far shipped my pants 89 uh new yearly support so if you come over there it's five dollars a month or fifty dollars for the year you get an extra show every week um and there's you know honestly you get early access to stuff too because yesterday we just dropped uh the first part of a new series called real conspiracies and uh talked about yeah r-e-e-l like movie stuff because uh we're gonna be talking about like movies and and conspiracy motifs and revelation of the method so we dropped the first one yesterday it's about inception and how it's related to MK Ultra, and the people on Locals got it uh, two days early, um, and also Rockfin got it early because Rockfin's another way that you can support us, and uh, you get us and other people for fifteen dollars a month. It's kind of like a Netflix subscription for conspiracy uh, content. Uh, Rockfin.com/slash/conspiracypilled. We have Rebecca Wells as a new supporter over on Rockfin, so cool. thank you guys for supporting the show. Appreciate it. I love it. I love it. All right. Um, yeah. Please get into it because right, we're well, going to be here all night. This story begins where every great story oh, begins. No. 
with cattle mutilation. That's where every every great story begins there. Uh So go through a little bit of the history of it. The first publicized case of a strange cattle mutilation in the United States in the United States was outside of Almosa, Colorado in 1967. And this is only 100 miles or so northeast of Dulce, New Mexico. Dulce, you know what, guys, if I say it the wrong way, I heard one podcast say it's definitely Dulce and then they struggled to say it and then everybody else calls it Dulce. So it, it doesn't matter, guys. You know what I'm talking about. But that's where that's the area of, of interest in this episode. So this was only 100 miles away in 1967. And according to HuffPo, uh, quote, an Appaloosa horse was found with his head and neck skinned and defleshed. The bones <laughs> were white and clean and there was a lack of blood in the area. The lacerations were cauterized as if a layer uh, as if a laser scalpel were used, according to pathologists outside of Denver. Uh, no satisfactory explanation has ever been found as to how or why this animal was killed. And by the 1970s, cattle mutilations were being reported all around the country. And the ranch with the largest uh, number of mysterious animal deaths belongs to the Gomez fa- family near Dulce, Dulce, Dulce. Uh, and in 1976, I'm going to pick, I'm going to go back and forth just to piss everyone off. I'm, I've listen. We had a really good episode last week about, <laughs> about Matthew Perry and uh-huh. I put clips of it. I read a lot guys. So I was reading about witchcraft and I was reading about Sawin or Sawin. I still don't know how to say it. Sawin. And I said Sam Hain because it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. And nobody cared about the crazy things that we said in this episode. They just wanted to make sure I understood how to pronounce which uh, rituals correctly. Mm, so got it. Uh, sorry that I pissed off the witch community. I'm not sorry. It was a test. If you it was a the test. real pronunciation, then we're going to burn you at the stake. <laughs> <laughs> and you failed TikTok. <laughs> you failed. You are all getting burned at the stake. Uh, so, yep. Nana C also canceled. Sawain. <laughs> Sawain. Sa- no, it's Sam Hain, guys. They wouldn't spell it like that if they wanted you to pronounce it. Sawain. Christians call it Sam Hain. Yeah, okay. that's the test, guys. That's the test. So, <laughs> the Gomez family. <laughs> The Gomez family, 1976, Officer Gabe Valdez uh, um, investigated their strange cattle mutilation, and at this point, he became completely obsessed. And in his first interview with the local media after investigating this mutilation was on June 6, 1976, where Valdez reported mysterious three-legged aircraft that had landed twice scorching the grass. But here's the here's the weird part about it. So you get this guy, this officer in New Mexico, he invests cattle mutilation before it's really a big thing. And one of the first things he reports about is like strange three-legged crafts landing and scorching the grass. So you think it's aliens already, but he never believed it was extraterrestrials. It's never been a belief of him okay. uh, ever. And in fact, that wasn't even the prevailing belief at the time. Uh, UFOs were being talked about in relation to cattle mutilation by the mid-70s. But black helicopters, advanced military craft, or even satanic cults were kind of more commonly talked about. And uh, just to give you guys an idea of like what the scope of this was and what catamutilation and the beliefs around it were like at the time, I found this uh, article from the New York Times in 1975. And I'm just going to read this article to you guys. So here it says 11 baffling are 11 states baffled by mutilation of cattle? I'm going to zoom up on this a little bit, I think. Uh, and it says, uh, Denver, October 27th. 
Who has been killing cattle in Colorado and at least 10 other states the last few months? Stockmen and lawmen alike have been baffled by the mysterious mutilations. Since April in Colorado alone, 196 cows, as well as one buffalo, one horse, and one goat, have been found dead with parts of their carcasses removed. Similar mutilations in which udders, eyes, ears, sex organs, and tongues seem to have been removed by the use of a sharp instrument have been reported in Pennsylvania, Kansas, Minnesota, Nebraska, Texas, Oklahoma, Montana, Illinois, Wisconsin, and California. But as of yet, all investigators, including some federal officials in Minneapolis, have been unable to turn up any clues indicating human involvement in the killings. Some theorists here have speculated that the killings are being done by satanic cults who use the animal organs and black magic rites. Because there have been no tracks with um, because there have been no tracks near the scene of the killings, one local lawman believed the perpetrators used a helicopter to swoop down at night on an unsuspecting herd, do their dirty work, and make their getaway by air. Are you familiar with the conspiracy around black helicopters? It's like kind of very, very vaguely. It was in the seventies. It was believed that the government had developed these completely silent black helicopters, and they could, uh, you know, basically swoop in and uh, like abduct things and got it. Yeah, it's kind of it's not a thing anybody talks about anymore because it, you know technology's advanced so much and we see things like the Nimitz stuff and we're just right. like yeah whatever black helicopters. Uh, but in the seventies was a big deal. So in uh, Lake Villa, Illinois, where two calves were found mutilated earlier this month, the police suggested that the mutilations might be linked to the Oregon Oregon Oregon. That's another one. I'll just say it both ways to piss everybody off. Oregon group that's uh, said to be enlisting followers for a trip to outer space. On the other hand, laboratory studies conducted by Colorado State University and by the Colorado Bureau of Investigation conclude that many of the cattle have died of natural causes. Predators such as coyotes and foxes rather than humans then moved in to remove their organs, they believe. Uh, there's a vast area of ambiguity, says United States Attorney Robert G. Renner of Minneapolis recently. His office ordered an investigation of cult groups months ago by the uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms uh, Division of the Treasury Department when it received information that such groups were threatening the lives of public figures. There are also allegations that the same groups were responsible for the cattle mutilations. However, Mr. Renner said the federal government had closed its inquiry after failing to find any evidence linking nuts and occult groups to either crime. But Sheriff George A. Yarnell of Albert County, a rural area south of Denver, where 73 mutilations have been reported, said the other day, there's no question in my mind that two-legged creatures are responsible for the mutilations. I've been around cattle all my life, and I can sure tell whether it's been done by a coyote or a sharp instrument, he declared. Sheriff Yarnell acknowledged that during the hot summer months, many of the carcasses could uh, not undergo proper autopsies because they deteriorated so badly before they were found. Nevertheless, pathologists at Colorado State University reported last month that some of the mutilations were obviously performed with a sharp instrument. The pathologist also said there was no indication the animals had been poisoned or captured in any way. Ranchers in Albert County have reported numerous sightings of helicopters at night. So it's going back into the, it's like cults, helicopters, cults, helicopters, huh. and like one mention of UFO so far. Um, according to Sheriff Yarnell, some government and private helicopters in the area have postponed flights because they're afraid of being shot at from the ground by angry stockmen. Recently, the Denver Post announced rewards totaling $13,000 put up by livestock groups, the newspaper, a bank, and Humane Association for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the killers. But Carl White's... This is why like, I never understood the whole idea. Oh, it's just coyotes. These, these farmers have no idea what they're talking about. They've never seen an animal killed by coyotes before. And it's happening in crazy large numbers. Um, so much so they're willing to like 
put their lot, you know, money and reputations on the line. Uh, Carl White said the agent in charge of the Colorado Bureau investigation inquiry said that no agency has yet found any leads, any suspects, any helicopters or any cult group evidence. The Bureau said he was trying to get help from the Interior Department's Animal Research Division. We recognize that some mutilations are occurring. By the same token, we feel the total is probably exaggerated. Uh, Mr. Whiteside said, asked about possible mutilators from outer space. He replied, I'm not ready for the UFO theory. Maybe I'm narrow-minded. So a couple things stood out. One, yeah. it's all cows. It's almost 200 cows. Except yeah, there's like one bull and one horse. And a one sheep. each of like three other animals like one horse mm-hmm. one goat one like it's weird right that's that's freaking weird and then the other thing is that it seems like the black helicopters thing was a way to cope with the ufo thing without it being ufos <coughs> but then like when it didn't work anymore they moved on to other things like the things that happen in this story are kind of why and where it goes into it. to ufos a lot more but yeah in in the 70s like there was a huge uptick in conspiracy theories at that time because of things like the church committee and uh, some of the people that we're going to be talking about in this episode had a lot to do with it. But it seemed like the general public was way less willing to talk about UFOs then than people are now that it's kind of gone a little bit more mainstream. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So after this, uh, Valdez became known as the cattle mutilation guy because he investigated 32 cases over the next three years. Wow. Again, just in Dolce. They'll say I want to keep saying it back and forth uh, where, <laughs> but he reported finding weird. This is where it gets weird. He reported finding military gear, such as gas masks and glow sticks around the carcasses of the mutilated cattle. And he estimated there were around 8,000 cattle mutilations in America during this time. I couldn't find any legitimate number. Everybody was back and forth. Some were saying tens of thousands. Some were saying hundreds. I'm like, hey, it's more than hundreds. Um, but there's no there's no clear answer. That was just his belief, and he was the the cattle mutilation guy. He really really re- researched this, so talked to other. It was something that happened for a long period, but it's not like something that's being reported happening now. Not really. It still does, but not like it was then. Right. Like I remember, there was a dead cow, kind of mysteriously over at. Um, like the BBC wrote an article about it like three years ago. Like it still happens. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be as as dramatic. No, no, it was like a big thing back then, for sure. And why did people not? Did, <clears throat> did, why did people not think it was satanic rituals at the time? Why did they or didn't they? Didn't they? I, I mean, because there's no footprints and because the cuts were too precise, too precise. and some people thought they were cauterized, like laser scalpels and shit like that, uh, like not messy, like a you know you'd expect from a group of uh, witches and warlocks, I guess. Right. Probably not scientists. But yeah, I mean, there's plenty of like physical evidence to say that. I think that even though there, there was still a lot of people who believed it was cults and I, and some of it definitely was cults. Um, right. I don't think there's, you know, it's like in anything. If you find one case where a farmer says it was this, you know, and but it ended up that one was the one that got killed by coyotes. I was like the whole thing's discounted. I'm right. sure there were some cults that were going out and killing cattle and harvesting their organs, sure. um, but I don't think it was on uh, mass that that's what it was. Um, so just because, uh, Gabe Valdez didn't believe that it was aliens doesn't mean his findings didn't get super, super weird though, because one of the other things he found, uh, was a mutilated cow with a dead fetus inside. And this was not like an unborn calf, according to Valdez, because he said it appeared to be a bizarre hybrid between quote, what looked like a human, a monkey and a frog. So 
pretty pretty weird, right? That's mutilated cow with a human monkey frog hybrid fetus inside. Yeah. Yeah. How would that even I have the no size, idea. The size <laughs> I have no idea. I'm stuck on the size differential between those creatures. Okay. I don't think that's how threesomes work either, but Yeah, no. We'll, we'll, we'll move. Hmm, okay. Yes, moving on. Well, if you said monkey and frog, humans and monkeys look I feel like a, a mixture between a monkey and a frog would kind of look like human-like, wouldn't it? I don't know. Anyway, weird weird stuff. So Moving on. And I want to say this too. I want to say this too. Gabe Valdez is the most credible person in the whole thing we're going to be talking about tonight. I swear to you. Like, so when I take his stuff with a little bit more weight, you'll see why. Um, so This is as hinged as it's going to get. The, oh, yeah. The beginning of this show is where it's hinged. By the end, we're, yeah. We're yeah. all, it's lizard people just, and just underground a, space wars and shit. Just it's, so we're clear, the human monkey frog hybrid fetus inside mutilated cow is as hinged as this episode's going to get a hundred percent. Now we're about to lose the hinges guys because on April 20th, 1979 U S <laughs> attorney Ari e. Thompson and U S Senator Harrison Schmidt held a public hearing uh, or public meeting about the cattle mutilations. And this meeting was attended by about 80 people, including Valdez. And one of the attendees was Paul Benowitz. And we're going to talk about him in a second, but he approached Valdez and reported and talked to him about having seen unidentified lights over Kirtland Air Force Base. And I'm going to say this a few times, but the dates are important because a lot of people completely don't care about when certain things happen and when certain people meet other people. And with what I want to talk about, where this is going to go, I think the dates are crucially important. So, um, but I'll remind you guys. So that was 19, April of 1979. That's when Gabe Valdez met Paul Benowitz. Now, Paul Benowitz was a Kansas native who worked as a radio electronics engineer for the Coast Guard during World War II. And he eventually moved to New Mexico with his wife, and they just happened to live across the street from Kirtland Air Force Base. And it was also in view of the Manzano Weapons Storage Facility, which is where a large portion of America's nuclear weapons were stockpiled at this time. They're stockpiled there for about 40 years. They're not anymore, supposedly. But... uh, Lot of lot of secret stuff going on. If you guys are familiar with uh, the Area Fifty One stuff, like Kirtland is where they took the you know remains of of the UFO and stuff. The Project Mogul weather balloon, if you believe that story. Um, so I don't really know it. I don't know it. I don't have a pin. <laughs> it's all good. It. It's all good. Um, so by 1966, Paul Benowitz started his own humidity equipment company called Thunder Scientific and he got contracts with Kirtland Air Force Base. I think because I when I read it, it was a humidity equipment company. I think it's like four planes is how they, he was selling these like parts for like humidity sensors, I guess. Um, but the guy's kind of like a self-made genius. He had some degrees and he had some training in electronics from the Coast Guard. But when you see what he does with his mind, okay. uh, he, he, the guy's kind of kind of like a, a insane genius, I think. So by the 1970s, he became a member of Arizona's Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, or ARPO, which is Civilian UFO uh, Investigation Group. And think like uh, MUFON is today, like ARPO was kind of the big one back then. I think that's also where like Betty and Barney Hill went to and talked with them and stuff like that. So kind of a big deal back then, not so much anymore. Um, And... Benowitz later talked about July 1979 as the beginning of his personally funded study into UFOs. 
And okay. he be, this is when he began filming strange lights that he saw almost nightly over Kirtland Air Force Base. And he was, sent, you know, he said like the lights would come up off of the base and over, you know, the Manzano storage facility and they'd head west and he'd see it just night after night, these strange lights doing these crazy things. And it was just like clockwork, right? And this is important because he started filming these things, according to, to Paul Benowitz, a month after he met Gabe Valdez. So he was seeing them before, but he started like taking a real interest in filming these things and, and doing something with it uh, in, in July of 79. And that's where we uh, come to this lady called Myrna Hansen, which is not to be confused with the Hollywood actress Myrna Hansen. I don't know if that rings a bell. Probably I, I not. Have. I didn't. Okay. Well, I've only, I didn't know it was either until I looked into Myrna Hansen and realized, oh, that's, she's not the most famous person with that name. Got it. So on May 6th, 1980, state police in Cimarron, New Mexico received a report from a woman calling herself Myrna Hansen. And she told a story involving interplanetary visitors, bright lights and herds of cattle. So when they heard this, they called the cattle mutilation guy, Gabe Valdez. Uh And he in turn calls his new friend, Paul Benowitz. And on May 7th, 1980, Hansen and her son traveled to Albuquerque to meet with Benowitz, where she told him that on May 5th, while she was driving with her son near Eagles Nest, New Mexico, they had witnessed two large silent objects approximately the size of Goodyear blimps hovering over a meadow. So then Paul uses his ARPO contacts to get a hold of a psychologist named Leo Sprinkle, which is the best name. Leo Sprinkle. He sounds made up. He sounds, <laughs> he sounds gay. Well, he will, maybe he was. He was a tenured professor at the University of Wyoming. Oh yeah, who had, <laughs> that's that's a clear sign. Uh, <laughs> who had been investigating UFO contactee reports, and Sprinkle then flew. I can't even say his name seriously. <laughs> it sounds so fake and gay. Spr- Sprinkle. I feel like I'm gonna lisp when I, I like I'm gonna accidentally lisp saying Leo Sprinkle. Leo Sprinkle. Yeah, see there it's going. Leo Sprinkle flew to <laughs> Albuquerque to hypnotize Myrna Hansen and her. Well, I don't know if he was going to hypnotize or somebody hypnotize Myrna Hansen. Okay. And Paul insisted, this is like w- one detail that I just find hilarious. He insisted that they do this in the back of his Lincoln town car because he had covered the inside with aluminum foil. So <laughs> he aluminum foiled the back of his town car and he's like, look, I've got a home an office, a couch, but what we should do is we should hypnotize Myrna in the back of my Lincoln town car because I have tinfoil in it. <laughs> and the, re- the reason I find this funny is because so much what we're going to be talking about is this guy's mental state. And it seems clear to me that he's already a little bit nuts prior to the crazy stuff happening. We haven't even lost Angels what yet, guys. What woman would get into the back of a <laughs> aluminum foil Lincoln She's there with a gay car. doctor and a, a, a... Hold on. Hold on. Let's just let's just show you what a charmer. That, oh, so that's boy. that's Gabe Valdez, right? But okay, okay, this okay. Paul Benowitz guy is a charmer. I mean, you wouldn't get in the back of a of a Lincoln Town car with that. Only if it was tinfoiled. <laughs> <laughs> what a looker! <laughs> oh my god! Myrna and and Sprinkle couldn't keep their hands off of this guy. I'm telling you. So. <laughs> That's where the hybrid came. No, that's where the hybrid came from. It was just sprinkle. He looks like a frog. That's why. No, that wasn't sprinkle. That was that was um, Paul Benowitz. That picture. Oh, that's Paul Benowitz. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, I'm getting mixed up already. <coughs> it's Benow- all good. Benowitz also sounds kind of gay, but we're, we're going to talk about Paul Benowitz a lot. So, um, <laughs> Seder says, "I trust that mustache." Who wouldn't? <laughs> who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> so, so on May 11th and 12th, 1980, under hypnosis, Hansen reported that not only had she seen several UFOs that day, but she had seen cattle being abducted, and she had seen her son or she and her son had also been abducted by the aliens and taken to a secret underground base where they saw cattle being mutilated and drained of their blood. And that there was also vats containing human body parts. And she, right. And she further said, well, it was for food. We'll find out alien food, alien chow, uh, which according to, I think Phil Schneider, they eat with their hands. They just like put their hands in the vats and just soak in the, the humany goodness. So like I said, we're going to lose a lot of hinges tonight. She further said that some sort of implants were placed in the bodies of her and her son and that the aliens could control their minds through these devices. And here's where I'm going to say something that is going to, I'm going to try to make sense of some of the craziness of this episode. The internet in the nineties was wild guys. As in people got on message boards and posted anything about anything. And now people in 2023 read old nineties message boards as if they're documented fact. So mm. not like saying what I told what? you. That's like it's like, re- yeah. Ah, okay. No, but I have seen those sources that some people use to make certain claims. And I'm like, that's a random dude in 1993. Yeah. Like, like one of the first people, and it's just old. So they just think it comes from any legitimate well, source. That's, that's and what the, the thing, what right? I've seen is, yeah, well, go ahead. We assume that everything written down in the olden days is, is legitimate. Like a historical yeah. account, unless it has things we don't believe in, in it. And then it's, it's definitely fiction. This was a very popular early internet conspiracy theory. This is why you will find so much stuff and people took it and ran with it in a lot of wild directions. So then what I was going to say is some people said that Myrna Hansen got a surgery and they removed a, a tumor from the spot where she believed she had an implant. I couldn't find any legitimate thing saying this except old early nineties message boards and then people repeating it from those. So I'm not saying she didn't have something implanted in her and they took it out. I'm just saying I'm not going to say that definitively because I, I think that the, I really do think that's made up. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. I, I think that when people say that they've been <clears throat> implanted, that's like what their demon told them to explain why they're hearing a voice in their head. I do want to talk. I, w- I want to do an episode about implants someday because there are some some pretty credible sources on implants. And some of those oh, sources yeah? say that it's governments uh, abducting people and making them think it's aliens and they're, you know, but whatever. Implants is an interesting topic. I'm just saying I don't I couldn't find a legitimate source that was like, no, she really had it. We're not saying it was alien, but she had a tumor there and it's kind of odd. Um, but that's the story that gets repeated. I also want to say DuckDuckGo was my friend this week <laughs> because a lot of the sources on this are deleted off the internet, but you can find like Wayback Machine stuff and you can find old internet archives through DuckDuckGo that I couldn't find through Google. So people will constantly be like, oh, why don't you use this or that? DuckDuckGo is like as controlled as Google anymore. I just go into every single search engine I can and to find the things that I want to find. And I was reading an article this week that TikTok is becoming like the Gen Z's version of Google. And I, I don't blame them. My point is you can find things on TikTok. You can't find anywhere else, which is very funny. 
Um, but anyway, I had, to, I had to do a lot of digging. A lot of the uh, Wikipedia articles, for instance, not saying that you should trust Wikipedia at all, but the Wikipedia articles like about historical, factual people and events you can find in the Wayback Machine, but they deleted them off of Wikipedia for some reason, which I find odd. So, yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> Benowitz believed Myrna. That's that's the point. And on top of filming the strange lights above the uh, Manzano weapons storage facility, he also built antennas and receivers to receive low frequency electromagnetic transmissions that he believed were coming from the alien craft. So he's stepping up his game at this point. And Benowitz called his mission Project Beta. And he would go on to send Project Beta to a lot of people over the years. But on October 24th, 1980, Benowitz contacted Kirtland Air Force Base to make a report on what he felt was a real threat against the Manzano weapons storage facility by UFOs. And he was first he first communicated with a major Ernest E. Edwards, who then referred him to a man named Richard Doty. Uh, this and so much of what I'm about to share is in documents that have been obtained by FOIA. So the reason I bring that up now is because Doty is, you know, I said Gabe Valdez is probably the most trusted source in this yeah, whole story. Yeah. Doty is easily the least trusted source in this entire story by far, bar none, including psychopath you know, people who just ran with this story and made it into whatever they wanted later on. That's because Richard Doty, uh, well, we'll get into it in a minute. I don't want to spoil the surprise, but Doty's not, not to be trusted. So Doty and his former blue book investigator, Jerry Miller went to, um, went to Benowitz's house to look at his evidence. And they realized that Benowitz was observing classified us aircrafts as well as intercepting signals from Kirtland air force base. And this part makes me so mad because Paul told them at this point, if this is you guys, I will back off. If I'm I'm not observing aliens and this is the air force and I'm observing secrets, tell me and I will stop doing this because I'm a patriot. And everybody that knew Paul Benowitz said he was a patriot and said that he wasn't interested in hurting his country, hurting his military. This is a cold war, right? But they're looking at this going, he's he's seeing stuff that we don't want our enemies to see. And he's talking about it as in UFO stuff. And he's not talking about it publicly yet, but this is not good, right? And th- again, this is according to Doty, this part is, but some yeah. of it's some of it's documented. Um yeah. so the Air Force Office of Special Investigations or AFO AFOSI, as some people call it, AFOSI, officially de- decided to not pursue his evidence. But unofficially, they told Paul to continue to investigate and report any and all findings to them. And they even helped him apply for a government grant to study this phenomena. And according to Doty, the Air Force wanted to discredit Benowitz so no one would figure out what he was really observing, what was really going on. And further on, he also said in, later on and in some documents that uh, this was in order to take down the UFO community or to take the entire UFO community on a wild goose chase. So this guy who's like, hey, if it's you, tell me I'll back off. They're like, it's not us. Please report to us what you see. And we're going to start feeding back information to you and trying to drive you insane and then giving you false information to take to the UFO community so that way, none of you will figure out what the hell we're doing. So they use Paul Benowitz as uh, as a disinformation agent un- unknowingly. Wow. Right. And I'll just say this early. I was going to say this for later, but like this is so important right now because it was only a few months ago that we were talking about 
why can't I think of his name? That guy who's kind of autistic and is talking about UFOs. We did like the whole four hour stream on him. The oh, UFO oh, whistleblower. Grush. D- uh, David Grush. David Grush, yeah. David Grush has been described by people who are close to him as kind of autistic. As in he doesn't know when people are lying to him, when they're joking. Right. He just takes anything he's told and believes it. And checks out. I I got a feeling like David Grush felt like he was really just doing the duty of his station and that he was the kind of guy who could be fed disinformation to spread. Yeah. So what, pay attention to Paul Benowitz and tell me how much of this reminds you of David Grush and some of the things he said and some of his personality. Cause I kind of think there's a, I think there's some similarities there. Um, I, I, I don't think they're doing a public hearing about UFOs unless they've got their disinformation agents in there is my point. Uh, Cause they went to some pretty great lengths in this story to make sure nobody found out about simple airplane testing and stuff like that. So uh, yes. Uh, let's see. He later, uh, so Richard Doder later admitted to also, like I said, creating hoax documents. And um, he even admitted to breaking into Benowitz's house and office on occasion. So weird. that's a little weird. Uh, Paul then created his own computer software program to translate the messages that he was getting from his, from his antenna. And this is, I'm not a, a crypto guy, but basically crypt, you know, cryptography is what I mean. Not crypto money. Yeah. Cryptography guy. But essentially I heard people explain it as in, if you're receiving enough signals and you have enough context, you can start feeding that context into a computer and it'll essentially be like, well, it sh- they'll, they'll be talking about flying or they'll be talking about like certain things or features or whatever. And eventually you can kind of get an idea of what these transmissions are about. So again, when I said the guy's kind of a super self-made genius, he developed his own, this is 1980, right? Like the earliest of home computers. He's developing his own software and programs in order to do, to run translations of signals, like pretty, pretty intense stuff. Uh, and again, that's whether you believe him or not, but the transmissions that he received, he said indicated there were two types of aliens that invaded the United that had invaded the United States. There was the peaceful whites and the evil grays and the grays who he said were responsible or who he said were responsible for the mutilations and the abductions of humans. And he, they had a treaty with the United States government that allowed them to build a secret underground base beneath the Archuleta peak on the Chicario Indian reservation near Dolce, New Mexico. So this is, this is where Dolce base is, is going to be talked about is underneath the Archuleta Mesa. And this is where it first comes from is he's getting these signals from the aliens. Now, some stories will have it as in Richard Doty and the air force was literally like testing to see if he was getting their messages. So that way they could see if they were, you know, being able to hide their signal from outside prying sources. So they were like, let's try this thing with our signal. Did Paul pick it up? Oh, he did. We try something else. I don't, it sounds pretty elaborate for like the whole um, message thing. So make of that what you will, but that's at least the story, right? Is they they started using Paul, not just to spread disinformation, but also to see if they were hiding their tracks well enough from prying eyes. Fascinating. Right. Um, Paul was also an amateur pilot and he began to fly over Dolce to look for signs of this underground base that he received in messages from the aliens. And he one time saw a downed aircraft and he calls Doty and he says, according to Doty, this was like a secret military plane that had gone down and he didn't want Paul to talk about it, picture it, film it, whatever. 
So he Paul's like, dude, we're going to go find it. You're going to come with me and we're going to go find this down spaceship. And he's like, well, don't go near it because we believe that the aliens use nuclear powered aircrafts and you don't want to get like radiated. Right? So this is also where Paul starts telling everybody the government told me that there's nuclear, you know, they're the nuclear powered yeah. crafts and stuff. Right? So that's where well, all this like, is coming in. It seems like it's the type of person who's like, I have, I have military secrets. You know, like those, like <clears throat> I got some military secrets. Yeah. People who are really, really keen on, on, the status they think they gain by having that that might secrets. better explain William Moore. Okay. Um, who we're talking about next because Paul Benowitz, I, I actually disagree with you. He went, he was at this point was already kind of going nuts and we'll talk about his breakdown in a minute, but he was like dead set serious that the aliens were going to kill us all. And he was not keeping the secret. He was keeping it secret when he had to, because he wanted to, you know, became friends with Richard Doty and he was trying not to hurt his country but he starts like sending letters to everyone at some point. Like he's dead set serious that the aliens are going to kill us all. Uh, even writing letters to president Reagan. So well, well, I want to get back to that because before that happens, there's this prominent UFO researcher named William Moore. Have you ever heard this name? I don't think so. Bill Moore, William Moore in the seventies and eighties. He co he was an up and coming UFO researcher and he co-wrote the Philadelphia experiment in 1979 and the Roswell incident in 1980 with Charles Berlitz. So what some people might not understand about the Roswell incident is it happened in what 47 or 49 or whatever. And nobody really talked about it until Charles Berlitz and William Moore wrote a book in 1980. So there's like kind of a false belief that from the time it happened till now, people have been talking about it, but it kind of just went away. Like nobody was talking. It wasn't the biggest right. UFO crash story until Charles Berlitz and, and William Moore put it out. And we are going to cover the Philadelphia experiment at some point. I feel like this episode's going to kind of maybe hint at what I think about it a little bit, but it is worth talking about. Um, but I, uh, before I even knew who William Moore was, I was familiar with Charles Berlitz and I think he's full of shit on almost everything he's ever done. So it makes like, I, I believe something weird happened at Roswell, but like just reading the, those names makes me go mm, some of maybe maybe something's not as weird. Now I'm not saying I believe the project mogul like thing, but Charles Berlitz, man, he he's the guy who said that uh, there was like crystal pyramids. Um, mm -hmm. He was giving coordinates and giving these like fantastic stories and places people could just go and check and that just weren't there. Right. Uh, so anyway, at a 1989 MUFON conference, uh, William Moore confessed that he had been engaged in a disinformation campaign against Paul Benowitz on behalf of Afrosci and that he was contacted by someone using the code name Falcon. And he was told that if he helped push Paul Benowitz into having a mental breakdown, the air force would then share what they know about UFOs with him and no one else. So this guy's like, other UFO researcher like the guy we're both part of ARPO. But if I give him, if I feed him false information and drive him quite literally insane, then I'll get the secrets. So like, you know what I'm saying? Like this is the guy that's like, I have it. Nobody else does what it feels like. And in February of 1981, William Moore gave Paul a copy of a classified document called the Aquarius document. And it stated that the government continued project blue book under a new name at the behest of majestic 12. This is the first time majestic 12 ever pops up in a document ever. Um, there's a famous majestic 12 document from 1987 
that is pretty obviously a hoax. Um, and whether that's a hoax by the government or a hoax by someone else, this was also pushed by Bill Moore. So th- that's interesting is the two documents that we have that talk about majestic 12 and just spurred all the yeah. conspiracy around it seem to both come from probably Richard Doty. Uh, and in fact, I don't know if I was going to play this clip. I could, I think I have it. Um, yeah, you have to, if you're going to hint at it like this, I just don't want it to be the wrong clip. There's a, I don't have it. I don't think I do. Well, hold on. <laughs> I do have it. So I have this clip of Richard Doty talking about the majestic 12 stuff. Um, shoot. Let's just play it. I guess I'm just worried. I have the wrong one because my stuff's getting a little out of order. So if I have to, if it's the wrong one, I apologize, but uh, let's see. I think it's this one. Why? There were some investigations conducted by FBI, uh, OSI, uh, regarding the MJ-12 documents, extensive investigations, just to determine whether these things were legitimate, whether they contained classified information, and then who released them. I was interviewed as, 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 a, as a suspect, as did I do these, but uh, it was proven that I didn't do them. But somebody outside the government created it. And in that particular instance, I don't know if the government would prosecute them. Doing that would lend credence to the document itself, and then they would have to disclose the information. So the best thing to do is just say, we end the investigation and not tell anybody what the outcome was. So that's him basically I, saying like, yeah, I gave the, these majestic, tw- no, he's not saying he gave them. A, that's what's crazy, right? right? Even now he's not admitting, even though it's record FOIA requested record that, and, and Bill Moore talked about this, that the first appearance of majestic 12 came from Doty and the government investigated Doty to be like, did you talk about majestic 12? And he's like, I don't know. Did I? But it'd be in the best interest of the government not to say whether they said I did or not. Right. So that's what's so fascinating about all of this is as much disinformation as we're talking about what Richard Doty continually says. That's a clip from the movie Mirage Men, which is on Netflix, by the way, which I highly recommend after finishing this episode. If you're interested in more stuff about Paul Benowitz and Richard Doty, it's really good. We'll play a few clips from it. But um, what he's essentially saying is the best way to sell disinformation is to have good amounts of real information in there. And in fact, th- this, this guy is so crazy. I'm sorry. I just don't even know what to say about Doty because he is a regular guest on ancient aliens. He's a regular guest on conspiracy shows talking about aliens. Like he's talking about like, yeah, the government found this and did this. I'm like, don't you like you all know him famously for being the guy who's lied to the UFO community since 1980, 1979. And then he comes out and he's like, yeah, I lied to you all. And I'll make documentaries about how I lied to you on how I fed you false information and how I fed Linda Howe false information and Paul Benowitz and Richard Moore. And I destroyed lives and careers, but please have me on coast to coast AM. Like let me be on ancient aliens. Let me be on showtime. Like, just the problem is it's like as long as someone with enough name recognition will tell you what you want to hear you'll just accept them no matter what yeah check this i'm not just to show you i'm not making up like how he talks about aliens now listen to this in 1947 two craft crashed into mexico they collided and one crashed near corona new mexico which is public record the second craft crashed way out west of magdalena new mexico and that wasn't found until two years later 
But the one that crashed in Corona, they also found a live alien. That live alien was named Eva, and he was transported to, it was a, ma a male, was transported to Los Alamos, where he, he lived out his life. So, like, is it true? Is it, is it true and he's saying it so you won't believe him? Like, is he still, right. I, how can anybody believe he's not still part of the disinformation campaign? And in fact, I'm going to save this for when we go over to Rumble at the end of the show because it's not pertinent to what we're talking about. And I already said it's going to be a little long. But I have some pretty good proof that the entire ancient aliens concept has been pushed. You know, I've said for a long time, it feels like it's been pushed by the government. That's why it's on the History Channel. And that's why it's so prominent. It started with Richard Doty and Linda Howe. So I'll play that clip later, but we'll get back to this, this story for now. So back to, to William Moore. Uh, the first document mentioning MJ-12 was, was this one, the Project Aquarius. Then there was the 1987 document. And overall, these documents uh, confirmed what Paul already believed, or the Aquarius document did. And that is that uh, basically that there was underground bases, that the aliens were working with the government, that there was secret agreements, that like all of the things that he wanted to believe were in this document, that it was being controlled by a group overseeing it called MJ-12. And there was even people in the Air Force and the United States government who wanted this exposed. And that's why he was being leaked this Aquarius document because they didn't agree with the, the evil plans of this uh, you know, majestic 12 organization, right? And what's interesting is after 20 years of FOIA requests and researchers diving into this Aquarius document, knowing that it's fake, they've found out that there are parts in it that the NSA and DARPA have projects with these same names that are mentioned in this, in this document. And that some of the things they FOIA requested, they're like, it exists, but no, right? <laughs> so they're just poisoning the well of information, right? Yep. So if this document's fake, Every time. <laughs> that's how it works, right? If this document's fake, then everything in it is fake, but it's not fake. And, and in some cases, things like project Aquarius, were real projects. It's just that they were submarine projects, right? Like they were throwing just, yeah, they're just poisoning the well. Like nothing, everything is muddy and nothing makes any sense because the information is so uh, just messed up. And then you've got people who don't care that the information is messed up. Paul Benowitz was maybe kind of innocent in this, but he was just gullible and foolish. Uh, but other people are just opportunistic and we'll get into the opportunistic people in a little bit. Um, but uh, I also have a clip of uh, of Bill Moore at the 89 conference. And I just want to show this because this is him literally going in front of a bunch of UFO believers and saying, you know, I'm kind of one of your favorites. So is Paul Benowitz. You guys are really into the Dolce conspiracy right now, but it's fake. <laughs> and people were very much less than happy about this. It became apparent to me that my supplying information to the government through Doty, on the activities of Paul Benowitz, Papo, and to a lesser extent, several other individuals, was to be a part of this equation. I also discovered that whatever it was that Benowitz was involved with, he was the subject of considerable interest on the part of not one, but several government agencies and that they were actively trying to defuse him by pumping as much mis disinformation through him as he could possibly absorb. Being a very small part of that process gave me, I thought, something of an advantage. It became my intention to play that advantage for all the information I could get out of it. 
podcast. So you can barely hear him at this point because the crowd is going nuts. But what he's saying there at the end is important. He's like, he's excusing his actions. He's like, look, they told me they'd give me information. And I thought if I could see how their disinformation projects worked, then I would have good information to bring to you guys. And I'm really the, I'm really the hero here, guys. Don't hate me. Um, yeah, I did it for advantages and yeah, they gave me a lot of stories that were probably also bullshit. Um, but you know, I'm the, so he knew, I think he knew that this was not going to be popular. And since then he's become a really controversial figure in the ufology community. Uh, he's not writing books. People don't really want to listen to this guy, but he knew because at this 89 conference in Vegas, he's the only speaker who didn't stay at the hotel. He's the only speaker who said before he was even going to go on. He's like, I'm not going to stay at the same hotel. I'm not going to give answers afterwards or sign books or any of that. I'm going to come in. I'm going to send my piece. I'm going to get, I'm going to get the heck out of here. Smart. And he did. And people were like leaving, crying, going and grabbing like sticks to beat him up. with. People were were going mad, right? Like one guy I think went out and he's like, I'm going to get a fire hose and just like leaves like weird stuff. That's interesting. It's like the more work you have to do to believe something, like the harder it is to believe something. So if it's a conspiracy theory or if it's having a hero that's really a terrible hero, like the, the harder you have to work at a position, the more angry and violent you're going to be when somebody presents you with information contrary to that position, right? A hundred percent, especially when it's your hero, especially when it's the guy who told you that mm-hmm. Roswell wasn't actually a UFO craft and, and that yeah. the Philadelphia experiment happened and they turned a ship invisible and, mm. and all this stuff, right? Wow. Or transported a ship to another area. We'll, get, we'll do a Philadelphia experiment at some point. But uh, at this point, Paul, uh, in 1982, Paul goes, this, sorry, this was 89. I'm going back now. In 1982, Paul goes public with his theory on the underground base in Dulce. And APRO decided that they were going to investigate his claims. And they sent William Moore <laughs> to investigate his claims. Uh, and then they wrote him off as being a par- paranoid and delusional. So the guy who, I'm not saying that Paul wasn't paranoid and delusional at this point. But I do find it funny that the guy who went to assess his claims and whether he was credible was the guy who was being hired by the government to drive him insane. And Paul had become increasingly paranoid because he kept guns and knives all over his house. He always carried a pistol and a rifle with him everywhere. He was coming up with plans to, to defeat the alien menace. He started, uh, you know, making all these plans, gathering information. He called it, you know, through Project Beta and his Aquarius documents, and he was sending them out to researchers. He sent them out to senators. He even sent a letter to President Reagan. And the two senators that he sent it to came to Kirtland Air Force Base to inquire, but Afrosai said that uh, there was never any investigation because what happened is they never opened an investigation into Paul Benowitz's claims. They told him that they had and that they were working with him and he was feeding them stuff and they were investigating it, but they never did. So when the you know senators came in, they're like, there's no investigation here. Like nothing's going on. Who's this Paul Benowitz guy? He's just a nut. We haven't been working with him and giving him information and getting information from him. Uh, the White House sent him a letter saying it was just like a you know standard like President Reagan didn't read your thing. Shut up kind of letter. And it was like, look, Project Blue Book doesn't exist anymore. But he knew this was a lie because of Project Aquarius. You know, the Aquarius document told him that they continue Project Blue Book. I actually think it was a lie. I don't think there's any point where the government's like, yeah, we're just not investigating this at all anymore. I think it, I think that part is true, right? Is that they kept investigating. It just wasn't publicly funded, probably. Um, he also started telling fellow researchers that aliens came through his walls of his house, through the walls of his bathroom every night, and injected him with chemicals. 
And the crazy part about this is he did have track marks on his arm, according to friends and family members. So either he was on drugs or someone was breaking into his house and injecting him with things. And we know that Richard Doty later admitted to randomly breaking into Paul Benowitz's house. So make of that what you will, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past the government to inject this guy with something. If they're already on a disinformation campaign to drive him nuts, especially if they can get him to believe that aliens are coming through his wall and injecting him and then further like discrediting his whole thing. Right. And in so in 88, he published a paper titled Project Beta, and it detailed how the best way would be to infiltrate the Dulce base and stop the aliens from taking over. And between 1982 and his death in 2003, he was hospitalized for mental illness and mental exhaustion and delusions at least three times that I could find. Um, but what he started did eventually take hold in the UFO community, in, in the UFO community. Uh, but What's crazy about it is what we think of as Dolce Base and what we're about to get into never really came from Benowitz. I mean, what did we learn from Benowitz, right? That there's alien, there's there's spacecraft over Kirtland Air Force Base, mm-hmm. that they're sending him signals about an underground base, and that there are gray and white aliens working with the government to some extent, and that they had kind of broken that agreement with the government. They were going to attack us. Like that's what that's what comes out of him. But it's not like the super detailed stuff that we're going to get into because most of what we think of as Dolce base now comes from Thomas Costello comes from Jason Bishop, AKA Tal Levesque comes from a guy named Branton, AKA Bruce Walton, uh, a guy named Phil Schneider and John Lear. And I I don't want to spend a lot of time on John Lear, but I'll I'll go with him first. He was the son of the inventor of the Learjet and uh, he's been big in the UFO community for a long time. He died last year. And in 1989, Lear served as the state director of MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. And he's the one that held the, con- the convention in Vegas that, that uh, in 1989 that Bill Moore was at. He organized a symposium titled The UFO Cover-Up, A Government Conspiracy? Question mark. And Lear's speakers were all slated to provide independent verifications of Benowitz's claim. So he kind of co-opted this MUFON group. Mm-hmm turn their entire conference into Paul Benowitz was right. I have four speakers. They're going to talk about this. Uh, William Moore was obviously there. And then there was also William Cooper and two others. And William Cooper later uh, completely parted split with Lear claiming that he was an intelligent agent, intelligence agent. So it's always a psyop and, and it, it is, but, he, but right? is he right though? Like William because Cooper was nuts, but is he right? I don't know. It's it seems like once you get a certain way down into conspiracy theory land, it's yeah. difficult to cling on to any sort of truth and eventually everything everything is a psyop and no one can be trusted. Right. Yeah, and it's a problem, but it's also a problem that they're not entirely wrong not in this wrong situation. You know what I mean? Cuz some yes. things are and at this point in time at least, they were heavily invested in psyoping the mm-hmm. UFO community. So look, we can, we can talk about William Cooper at some point. He got some stuff, right? He was definitely insane and he definitely got some stuff wrong, but John Lear just kind of comes across as a a, a disinformation agent in so many little ways. Um, now we're, we're finally going to talk about what everybody wants to talk about, which is the Dolce, the whole thing, the base, the base itself, the the, the mythos around it, all of that, the aliens with the Dolce papers, right? So in 1987, an apparent whistleblower 
organized and released 25 black and white photos, a video, and a set of papers that included technical information. Okay. And he sent this to UFO researchers under the name of Thomas Edwin Costello. And this was supposed to be physical evidence of a joint U.S. government extraterrestrial base that was two miles beneath the Archuleta Mesa. Okay. And a lot more has been added to this since then. It's not entirely clear who or where it comes from. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but there is another thing that some people claim is his. It's the 30 papers that were published online and then into a book by a, a guy named Branton or also known as Bruce Walton. And in this book and in his books, the Dulce book and the Dulce Wars, he goes into further detail. And I've included a lot of these things in the description of this. If you're listening to it or if you're watching it on, on YouTube or Rumble or whatever. So you guys can look at the uh, 30 papers that were published by Branton. But it's... We'll get into where he gets his information later, but this is not the original thing, right? And in fact, I can just show you because I found it. The original leaks other than the photos. For some reason, I can't find all the photos, but here's the Dolce papers. He just talks about like what's in them. And then there's some of these technical drawings and it's like human cloning stuff. And just what do you think of these drawings? Like, do you think this is stolen government drawings or do you think this is like someone trying to explain something like, the, let's just take it. The one it's not particularly governmental or official looking in any way. Yeah. It's not particularly precise. It looks like someone's done, you know, their best. And, and I'm not horrible, saying but. like, I'm not saying that they couldn't be talking about a real thing, right. but I think everybody assumes that these are government documents and they're very clearly not. It actually doesn't even really say that they are. It says, right. Right here, this is the Dulce Papers, and it says at the top, you know, the Dulce Papers are comprised of 25 black and white photos, a videotape with no dialogue, and a set of papers that include technical information. So this is not a government document. This is this is the guy, Thomas Costello, summarizing what he's sending to people, right? And so it's not exactly like government documents, is my point. And the 30 pages, the the long books, the things like that later, they maybe come from Thomas Costello talking to Branton. But we'll put that aside for, for just a minute. One of the things that I will say about the photos right away is that all the photos I could find are all obvious fakes. And then there are fakes that weren't even at that time. They're just later hoaxes that have cropped up all over the internet. And one of the most popular ones, and again, this is not part of the original photos. Actually, our thumbnail for tonight's show is one of the original photos, and that is a Photoshop. It's a fake. It's not It's not real, right? Um, but uh, this one right here, you'll see this photo here of these, you know, cloning vats and the photograph. And I saw this on Twitter and a few other places when I looked into it. We'll say something like Dulce base security officer Thomas Costello leaked these to the public. He and his family are missing and presumed dead by the public. And you'll see this on Twitter and Instagram and all over hmm. the place, except it's just a picture from the movie, the sixth day with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Of course it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, look, right. it's the same freaking picture, same position. It, that's just what it is. So <laughs> that's not part of Costello's thing though. That's just something that people spread around online a lot. So Got it. as far as I can tell, look, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. The photos is my point because I don't need, I don't need the photos to prove, uh, what I'm what I'm going to prove, uh, but they're all fake. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. So Thomas Costello claimed to be a former security technician that was employed by the Rand Corporation at the Dulce Underground Facility. And according to Costello in 1961, he was a young sergeant stationed at Nellis Air Force Base near Las Vegas, Nevada, and his job was as a military photographer with a top secret clearance. 
That's the low clearance, by the way. <laughs> Top secret's the low one. Because he later transfers to West Virginia, where he's trained in advanced in intelligence photography. And he worked inside an undisclosed underground installation. And due to the nature of this, his new assignment gave him clearance upgraded to TS4. What, Top Secret 4, I guess. Uh, he then remained with the Air Force as a photographer until, until 1971, at which time he was offered a job with the Rand Corporation as a security technician. So he moved to California where Rand had a major facility and his security clearance was upgraded to Ultra 3. <laughs> Have we gotten to Q yet? <laughs> no, we haven't gotten to Q level security light yet. There's one guy that gets close. It's like Romulan 37 or something like that. Not joking. <laughs> um, oh, okay. not, that's not this guy though. In 1977, Thomas was transferred to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where his pay was raised significantly and his security clearance was again upgraded, this time to Ultra 7. His new job was as a photo security specialist in the Dolce installation, where his job specialization or specification was to maintain, align, and calibrate video monitoring cameras throughout the underground complex and to escort visitors to their destinations. Once arriving in Dolce, Thomas and several other new recruits attended a mandatory meeting where they're introduced to the big lie. And the big lie was that the subjects being used for genetic experiments were hopelessly insane. And the research is for medical and humane purposes. The briefing ended. This is how you, <laughs> this is how you know that someone's telling you the truth because the briefing ended with severe threats of punishment <laughs> and death. We're not doing anything wrong, but if you tell anybody, we'll kill you. <laughs> Venturing outside of the boundaries of one's work area without reason was also forbidden to act. Uh, most of all, discussing the existence of the joint alien U.S. government base to any outsider would generate severe and, if necessary, deadly repercu repercussions. At first, his encounter with the uh, with actual grain reptilian beings in the base was exhilarating, but soon it became he became acutely aware that all of this was not as it appeared to be. Uh, <laughs> So this, these claims were pushed through a few people, um, most notably a hollow earth researcher named Jason Bishop, who was the first one to post his claims uh, either in the late eighties or early nineties. And uh, Jason Bishop had been working on a map of UFO activity. So let's check out this map. Um, if it'll, Oh, that's the wrong thing. That's why I can't find the map. Let's see. <laughs> He was working on this base, the phantom phenomena about you have, you know, marking places of high UFO activity, possible portal vortexes, possible UFO bases and suspected inner earth entrances. And Costello comes to him and basically tells him there are underground entrances to all these things. UFOs are going in and out of them. The whole thing, everything you are to believe is true. Um, and here, in fact, is a picture of what this base supposedly looks like. You've got this elevator, this UFO entrance uh, underneath you know, at the top of the Archuleta Mesa. UFOs go down through seven or more levels. Now, we oh, say more. seven because Thomas Costello only knew of seven, okay. but he suspected there was more. And that's why in this picture, you see the elevator going deeper, deeper, deeper. Okay. But he knows what these levels are because he's he's got ultra seven security clearance, which must mean he can go to the seventh <laughs> layer <it>. and uh, <laughs> top layer is security and communications. Then we have the human staff housing layer. Then we have executives and labs layer. Then the mind control experiments layer alien housing, which <laughs> 
sector, it's, it's, it's not sector seven housing, it's sector five housing. Mm. Uh, alien housing, genetic experiments, and cryogenic storage. Um, so I, I, I don't know exactly where this came from. This might have been Wait, one of Costello's first things. Underground shuttle to Los Alamos. Los Alamos was the town that developed the first nuke. Well, that was the other thing project, that right? that's the other thing that lines up with um, oh, with Jason Bishop's beliefs is that not only is there a you know miles deep underground base something like the hive from Resident Evil right. that uh, does all this crazy stuff, but there's actually a high speed shuttle system that goes to every deep underground military base or dumb if you've not heard of that that's how it's you know shortened all the dumbs across America and that it can go according to some people faster than the speed of light. And according to other people about Mach 2, and uh, there's a whole thing about this. I, uh, some of it I'm going to not say because it's going to be in the interview we're about to read. But uh, right. yeah, he's, so again, this guy gives gives a lot of this information. You can find old archives of Jason Bishop III talking about this online. It's It reads like someone who's not quite mentally there. Let's just it, put it that way. A it, lot of this reads, It's that was some of the hardest part of this research. It was like, right what the hell am I reading? It's so disorganized and like capital letters in random places and sentence fragments and setting things on fire. It, it reads like the, the wild fan fiction, like somebody starts with a true thing, right? Yeah. And then just starts extrapolating this wild fan fiction around it. That sounds more like a movie sounds more like a sci-fi book than, than anything that kind of rings true. Yeah. And you kind of end up like I'm willing to believe so many wild things and you kind of lose me at <coughs> Mach 2 underground rail tunnel and like No, it's speed of light underground of, rail tunnels according to some people. But two, yeah, two no. miles it, of base. You know what I mean? And right. an ultra ultra 7 That sounds like a security clearance you made up. It Definitely. It really does. <laughs> Definitely does. Well, not Romulan 37. That doesn't sound like a security clearance somebody made up. That, that, that a Star Trek fan made up? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, here's the thing about this. I'm trying to save some cards for the end because I want to make a case before I uh, get to certain parts of this. But this interview is on every website that talks about this out there, right? And oddly enough, you can't find them through Google. I actually could only find these through DuckDuckGo, and then they were everywhere. Uh, but every website that talks about the Dolce papers or the Dolce papers will eventually you'll get a link to or find this interview. And there's even um, Scribd has it like a PDF of it. So you, it's not that hard to find. But not one single place that I looked at it for told me who the interviewer is and when this interview took place or how or any of that. It's just Q&A, right? So <clears throat> a little bit mysterious there is widely believed to be Thomas Costello. Well, we, it, it says that Thomas Costello talking to who knows who. So what we're going to do is this is going to be a little bit long, but I swear this is like the meaty part of this is where the hinges completely come off the, of the, of the door and we're just going through, right? We're going to read most of it, not the whole thing. Cause the whole thing is really, really long, but this is, this is some good stuff. So Abby's going to be the questioner, the, the person, the unnamed questioner, and I'll read the part of, of Thomas Costello. Okay. Hey, oh, okay. Uh, question. <laughs> when exactly was the upper human occupied level of the Archuleta installation constructed? I realized I was scrolled all the way to the bottom. <laughs> 
I heard Dolce was started in 1937 to 38 by army engineers enlarged over the years. Most recent work was completed in 1965 to 66 to connect tunnels to the page Arizona base site uh, base site of one of our older underground facilities. The four corners base is called Perica. Most of the native Americans, the Indians living in that area are aware of that base and could tell us about the underground life forms that frequently are spotted near those communities, Bigfoot, etc. By what means was the upper installations constructed? Are you familiar with the alleged developments made by the Rand Corporation of a highly efficient bore or mole machine capable of melting rock using nuclear patterned powered wolf frame graphite tipped drill cones? Well, do you? <laughs> I'm sorry. Can I, I'm going to pause. This is me talking again for a second. The reason I didn't bring up the, the, the whole underground tunnel system thing is because some of the people who looked into this, like Jacques Vallée were like, yeah, where'd you put all that stuff? Like, that's a big yeah. question, right? Yeah. And that's because again, like, I don't know how the questioner knew to ask this exact, very specific question, the question <laughs> of the highly efficient bore or mole machine capable of melting rock using nuclear powered Wolfram graphite tipped drill cones. But that's what they said is it would like go through and right. you didn't have to put the dirt anywhere. Cause it would just like melt it and push it to the sides and turn it to like smooth glass. See, that's, so that's how like they were so yeah. convenient, right? You just super making convenient. up a sci-fi thing to explain your sci-fi thing. Yeah. Well, here's the answer in case okay. you wanted to know okay. yeah, according to answer. several <laughs> Yeah, the very real, real answer. Uh, according to several senior maintenance workers, part of it was blasted by nuclear devices in the 60s. There are sections like the shuttle tunnels that were formed by advanced tunneling machines that leaves the tunnel walls smooth. The finished walls in those tubes resemble polished black glass. By whom was the Dolce installation originally constructed? This should have been the first question. <laughs> right. Nature started the caverns. The Draco reptilian humanoids used the caverns and tunnels for centuries. Later through Rand Corporation plans, it was enlarged repeatedly. The original caverns include ice caves and sulfur springs that the aliens found perfect for their needs. The Dolce caverns rival Carlsbad caverns in size. What exactly are the cattle and human organs, such as blood and tissue, eyes, reproductive organs, tongues, etc., used for, i.e. the organs obtained via cattle and human mutilations? Read the so-called hyperlinked Dolce papers. <laughs> should I put this on screen for people? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You put it on screen. We'll keep reading it. Okay. <laughs> Read the so-called hyperlinked Dolce papers. What a stupid question. Like, he's asking you a question. Anyway, right. sorry. Are the various electromagnetically controlled air or spacecraft that have been seen leaving from and arriving at Mount Archuleta manned by humans, the alien entities, or both? The Archuleta Mesa is a minor area. The craft leave and are stored in five areas. One is southeast of Dulce, one is near Durango, Colorado, and one near Taos, New Mexico. The main fleet is stored at Los Alamos. This questioner, before I continue reading, because I'm going to keep reading it unhinged because it just, even the <laughs> diction of the question feels so unhinged. Am I, yeah. am I reading it? I'm like, <clears throat> others have suggested that some of the entities below Dolce are not of terrestrial origin and that they are actually descended from saurian or reptiloid beings such as the velociraptors or Steniococcus aqualis. <laughs> Stiniacacus Aqualus, a serpentine race or races similar to that hinted at in the third chapter of the book of Genesis. Yes, some reptoids are native to this planet. The ruling caste of aliens are reptilian. The beige or white beings are called the Draco. Other reptilian beings are green and some are brown. 
They were an ancient race on Earth living underground and may have been one of the draconian beings that tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden. Reptoids rightly consider themselves native Terrans. Perhaps they're the ones we call the fallen angels. Maybe not. Either way, we are considered the squatters on Earth. Okay, that... We'll have to talk about that in a minute. But yep. Some have suggested that the so-called underground ET bases and tunnels may, for a large part, be literally thousands of years old. Constructions are of an antediluvian race which attained to a considerable level of scientific complexity and who were destroyed by a divinely initiated cataclysm which took place after they attempted to merge their science with occult <laughs> supernatural forces. That's not even the whole question. Brace <laughs> it. <laughs> Some suggested that the Bermuda Triangle phenomenon may be... Oh my God, get to the question. Maybe the result of an out of control Atlantean experiment that led to a space time disaster, which produced electromagnetic fallout in the triangle area and elsewhere after they had accidentally loosed powerful forces and energies into the world that they knew very little about. Do your observations tend to confirm or refute such a possibility? I'm not sure about the divine part, but these aliens consider themselves native Terrans. Where did the little gray aliens fit in? They work for and are controlled by the Draco. There are other gray-skinned beings that are not in league. There are other gray-skinned beings that are not in league with the Draco. Did you ever talk to any of the aliens at the base? Since I was a senior security technician at the base, I had to communicate with them on a daily basis. If there are any problems that involve security or video cameras, I was the one they called. It was the reptilian working cast that usually did the physical labor in the lower levels of Dolce. Decisions involving that cast were usually made by the white Draco. When human workers caused problems for the working cast, the reptoids went to the white draconian boss and the Draco called me. At times, it felt like it was a never-ending problem. Several human workers resented the no-nonsense or get-back-to-work attitude the working cast lives by. When needed, intervention became a vital tool. The biggest problem were human workers who foolishly wandered around near the off-limits area of the alien section. I guess it's human nature to be curious and to wander, uh, to wonder what is past the barriers. Too often, someone found a way to bypass barriers and nosed around. The cameras near the entrance usually stopped them before they got themselves into serious trouble. A few times, I had to formally request the return of a human worker. Are there other sites tied in to the shuttle network other than those which you mentioned? And if so, where are the entrances? Where? Everywhere! <laughs> it's all caps. I'm sorry. Where? Everywhere! They crisscross the world as another subterranean highway like a freeway except one is underground. The subterranean highway in America is like a freeway except it's underground. <laughs> like, why writes it like this? <laughs> I have to read it the way it's written, right? I feel attacked. It's like yell it and then it's back to normal. Just the subterranean highway in America is like a freeway except it's underground. The highway depends on electric motors for trucks, cars, buses, for the paved roads and for its limited travel. There's another style of transit for freight and passengers that is rapid travel. The worldwide network is called the sub-global system. It has checkpoints at each country entry. There are shuttle tubes that shoot the trains at incredible speeds using a maglev and vacuum method. They travel at a speed that excels the speed of sound. Part of your question involves the location of entrances to that base. The easiest way to answer is to say every state in the United States has them. Frequently, the entrances are camouflaged as sand quarries or mining operations. Other complex portals are found in military bases. New Mexico and Arizona have large have the largest amount of entrances, followed by California, Montana, Idaho, Colorado, Pennsylvania, Kansas, Arkansas, and Missouri. Of all the states, Florida and North Dakota have the least amount of entrances. <laughs> How's Florida that weird without any alien <laughs> entrances? <clears throat> 
Wyoming has a road that opens directly into the subterranean freeway. That road is no longer in use, but could be reactivated if they decided to do so with minimal cost. It's located near Brooks Lake. Okay. How is it that I asked a really good question <laughs> about cattle mutilations and you were like, just read the Dolce papers. And then that's I asked my you point. Like who answers that way? Basis, and you just completely <laughs> just go autistic. on me. It's almost like I'll save my thoughts. Okay. Are there any bases in the state of Utah? Salt Lake, Lake Powell area, Dark Canyon, Dugway Grounds, Moderna, or Modena, Vernal, all of exits there, others too. Does the Mount Archuleta shuttle system connect with the shuttle system which allegedly radiates from Mount Shasta in Northern California? Yes, Mount Shasta is a major site of alien elder race, reptilian race, human meetings. Being... <laughs> beginning Cleaver... I think it means beginning with... Beginning with Cleaver... Cleaver, Cle Cleveland, Cleveland, Grover, every president of the United States have visited Telos City. Truman was supposed to have visited the lower realms as a high archon on Earth. He was supposed to have met the king of the world there and gave him the keys to the United States. Like, it's the most insane shit that he just says so matter of factly. Yeah. And then I'm not going to. And then he gets mad and like yells in all these caps like, how do you not realize there's underground entrances everywhere? You know, Truman yeah. was going to meet with the the king of the world, reptilian, humanoid, yeah. trans-dimensional being guy. And, that's just and then fine. I'm not going to ask, like, the reasonable follow-up questions. I'm just going to jump <laughs> as if I was totally expecting that answer. Did you notice any... You're also going to lead every question like you already right. know what answer you want to get. Right. Did you notice any involvement of high-level Freemasons, Rosicrucians, or Jesuits within the underground installation and or with the aliens? Yes, I did, but that is a loaded question, and I won't comment further. I'm not a Mason or a member of any secret fraternal group. There is one organization that I'm a member of in the United States, and that group is commonly called the Central Unit. It is a pleasure to tell you that I am a member of the Subgalactic League of Costa Rica. Yeah, I didn't ask. Is there any truth to the allegations that the CIA <laughs> slash aliens have established bases on the moon and also Mars? I've heard that too, but I have seen, I just love the random capitalization. I've heard that too, but I haven't seen proof with my own eyes. The aliens do allegedly have bases on several moons of Jupiter and Saturn. The CIA operates in other countries, but I've never heard of them operating on other planets. Have you heard any hints or rumors suggesting that there may be lower levels beneath the ultra seven level of the Dolce base and also where these might lead to and what they might consist of? Yes, your guess is as good as mine. Sure, there was lots of talk, but that doesn't mean it's there. However, I will tell you, I saw elevators that were off limits unless you had an Umbra or higher <laughs> security clearance. At that base, information is only supplied to me at a need-to-know basis only. My clearance was ultra seven. Some insist that the U.S. secret government has developed its own discraft based largely upon top secret anti-gravity experiments carried out by the Nazi German scientists during World War II. Have you heard anything referring to this? When I was working in photo security, heard a lot of talk, never saw the proof. But once in the Air Force, I developed a roll of film that showed a craft like a Damsky's with a swastika on the side. Hold on. I, this is me again. Uh, I just realized we have the answer to who is doing the interview. I thought Q stood for questioner, but it just stands for Q. I'm Q. You're playing Q right now. I'm Q. Okay, let's keep um, going. Tom, did you have access to the alien craft? Were you ever inside any of them? 
Yes, I frequently saw them in the garages. There are quite a few of them. The main fleet is stored at Los Alamos. Yes, I entered several crafts. There were two things that stick in my mind, the odd spongy feeling of the floors and the unusual pinkish purple color of the lighting. The crew stated that the floor becomes rigid in flight and the purple tint of the lighting changes to bright blue and white. The entire side of the aircraft are scaled down in size when compared to the average human. The halls were curved and narrow, but somehow when inside it appears bigger than it looks. Certain areas, the outermost sections almost felt and looked alive. I was never taken up in one. Can you give me more information on the reptilian race? What what do they do on the sixth level? The area called Nightmare Hall. This is where it gets good, guys. Oh boy. The work <laughs> this is where it gets the worker cast does the daily chores, mopping the latex floors, cleaning the cages, bringing food to the hungry people and other species. It is their job to formulate the proper mixture for the type one and type two beings that the Draco race has created. The working cast work at the labs as well as the computer banks. Basically speaking, the reptilian races are active at all levels of the Dolce base. There are several different races of aliens that work on the east section of level six. That section is commonly called the alien section. The Draco are the undisputed masters of the fifth, sixth, and seventh levels. The humans are second in command at those levels, and I had to argue with one large draconian boss frequently. His name is difficult to verbalize. Karshflash. I'm not. I usually just call him Karsh. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with that. And he hated it. Draconian leaders are very formal when talking to the human race. These alien, uh, these ancient beings consist uh, consider us a lower race. Karsh called me leader Costello, but it was used in a sarcastic way. However, the worker cast is friendly enough as long as you allow them to speak first. They will answer if you address them. They are very cautious beings and consider most humans to be hostile. They always seem surprised when they are found when they found many of the humans were open and trustworthy. There is no fraternizing with the aliens off hours. It is forbidden to speak to any alien race in the halls or on an elevator without a clearance business oriented reason. Humans can talk to humans and aliens can speak to aliens, but that is as far as it goes at the work site. However, it's different. There is free speech in the labs. Merka. The camaraderie found in the labs also reaches the computer bank section. In those areas, everybody talks to anybody. However, everything changes the minute you cross the threshold of the hall. Instantly, all conversations become strictly formal. Hard as it was, several times I had to arrest someone simply because they spoke to an alien. It's a strange place. Exactly what first made you aware that something was wrong at Dolce? Seems to me that a place as obviously horrible as this one wouldn't need an Einstein to know that this is a crime site. What took you so long? Are you the guy who blew the whistle? There are several things that you should know about. I took an oath under the penalty of death. That no <laughs> matter what. <laughs> for, a level, for a level seven security. <laughs> ultra seven. <laughs> I took an oath under the penalty of death that no matter what I saw or heard, I would never divulge the information. Except now. <laughs> also, I signed a waiver that states... I would willingly give up my life if I was found guilty of treason at the Dolce base. Treason is anything that mentions the details or daily operations at the facility. When outside the confinement of the base, when I first arrived, a need to know policy was in effect. The story was the honchos told us was that this is a tri bio transfer facility with advanced technology doing advanced adventurous. Wait, yeah. <laughs> I was, I'm going to read this one again. This Quote from a guy named from Honchos. This is a tri-biotransfer facility with advanced technology doing advanced adventurous methodology for medical and mental gains. Or adventurous. 
which is a fancy way of saying they do the really risky things with human life just to see what would happen. If the medical cure happens, it will be heralded on the surface of the earth as a marvelous new cure, saying it was found after years of research at some well-known medical lab. The year, the real story is the cure is never explained. After all, the Dolce base is a secret facility. These people are very good at what they do. They do not tell the truth about the unfortunate people that end up in Nightmare Hall. I worked with aliens. With that in mind, you should get the idea of the secrecy and the security of this place. Yes, I know this is not the usual hospital-type job site, but in the beginning, I bought the whole package. I was reminded daily by Intercom and the elevators that this site does high-risk advanced medical and drug testing to cure insanity. Please never speak to the inmates. It can destroy years of work. I'm sensible when doctors say don't speak to them. Who was I to destroy the delicate situation? But one man somehow caught my eye. He repeatedly uh, stated that he was George S. something and that he had been kidnapped and he was uh, sure someone who was and he was sure someone was searching for him. I don't know why he sticks in my mind. I found I was remembering his face thing. He sure didn't look or sound insane, but some inmates said that. The next weekend, I convinced a friend of mine, a cop, to run a check on this guy, saying that I had a run in with him, and he was, and I was curious. I didn't mention the base at all. It was st- uh, a sickening feeling when the computer confirmed that George S. was missing. What's worse, the cops thought he was just another guy who got tired of the daily grind and split. That was the beginning. Uh, am I the one that blew the whistle? No. The next Monday, I searched for George, but he was gone. There were no records that explained what happened to him. It was another security officer that came to me saying he and some lab workers wanted an off-duty meeting at one of the tunnels off the record. Curiosity took over and I said, okay. That night, about nine men showed up. They said that they knew they were risking, uh, so they knew they were risking me turning them in, but they wanted to show me some things that I thought I should see. One by one, they showed records that proved many inmates were missing people. Okay, I love how the people who are telling these stories, they're always the heroes. I know. They're always, always the heroes in the stories. They're always super important and the heroes. Anyway. He explains this place, right? As like, we're doing human animal hybrids. We're doing human and like human alien hybrids. And he, he mentioned earlier type one and type two, and we're not going to get into it in this part of it because it keeps going. But like later on, he uh, mentions that type one and type two are like literally um, aliens impregnating human slave women and creating these like disgusting like sexless baby, like reptile babies. But he's like, I didn't know anything was bad until George S was a missing person. Oh my God. You know, not anyway. It's so yeah. stupid. Uh, go, just go ahead and ask the next question. He's just going on about George S. Oh, okay. The name nightmare hall is descriptive, but surely there was a regular name. What was it called in the manuals? In the manuals, it was called the Vivarium. It describes Dolce Base's secured facility for tending bioforms of all types. In their report, it is a reptoid. In their report, it is reptoid as a private subterranean bioterminal park with accommodations for animals, fish, fowl, reptile, and mankind. After seeing this park, the name Nightmare Hall is far more accurate than the manual. The accommodations for the inmates at Nightmare Hall fall, fall short of the pretty picture the manual describes. You mentioned one reptilian leader, Karshvast. Do you know anything about him? Like, where is he from? Is he from Earth or from some other planet? What does he like to do on the weekends? Yeah. It's his favorite color. His name means keeper of the law. They receive their name after they reach the age of awareness. 
<laughs> I love how there's so much like new agey bullshit like this spread throughout this. Uh, they do not recognize time as an important factor in being aware the way humans do. Upon their age of awareness, their cognitive of the station or, or position they are detained destined to fulfill. At that time, they chose to allow someone to choose their name. Their name will include the position they hold and several personally chosen letters. Each letter has a personal meaning. Anyway, let's just This feels on. like a backstory in like a, a really, really long. I want to get on to the, I want to get on to the gunfights. Yeah, We're almost okay. to the end of this document. Let's All get right. to the gunfights. Did any of the working cast join in the revolt? Could you give me some names? Give me some names. Oh, wait, did I, do we pass over the revolt? <laughs> Was I trying to skip ahead? Um, um, Drago, Dragon Return. No. Okay, no. Okay, he's just like, just yeah, okay. he just things. knows where this is going to go. Yeah. A few of the reptilian janitorial crew let us know that they uh, knew we were attempting to sabotage their work going on in the sixth and seventh levels. One of them, with the name Shkal, secretly formed a small group of reptoids with the same mindset as the group. Shkal took upon himself the danger of informing me. He was. Oh, your sound cut. We're back. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Shaw took it upon himself in the danger of informing me. He was as open as possible in a unique situation. One day I found out about it. I was inspecting a camera near an exit tunnel. He approached, uh, stooped down. The tallest reptoids average about seven to eight feet in height, according to most witnesses. Seemingly scraping uh, some non-existent dirt, and he quietly said, a few of us agree that you are singular in your interest in missing human reports. If true, walk away. I'll reach if untrue, destroy my life now. This is this is this is absolute fiction. <laughs> my heart almost leaped out of my chest, but I silently walked towards one of the wide halls. For the rest of my life, I'll remember those words. It was the first time I knew reptilians could have individual thought and opinions. Basically, they formed a uniform front with a small variety of interests, or at least that was what we thought. It was a couple days before I heard from him again. As he walked beside me on the sixth level's infamous hall, I heard him say, Enter the exit tunnel on the sixth level north after your shift. The next few hours were long and filled with thoughtless or thoughts of betrayal or worse, but I shouldn't have worried. I contacted one of the original nine resistance men and let him know just in case. Gordon wanted to go with me, but I convinced him to wait a few feet from the exit and pretend he was having trouble with his cart, his electric cart, like a golf cart. When I got there, there were three of them. Shaw formally introduced Fasha and Humasha, whatever. He introduced F and H. With that, I quickly grabbed Gordon from the hall, and the five of us talked and walked down the dark tunnel about three hours. After that day, the joined resistance we joined a resistance group that got bigger and bolder. Ultimately, ended when a military assault was initiated via the exit tunnel, and they executed anybody on their list, human or reptilian. We fought back, but none of the working cast had weapons, nor did the human lab workers. Only the security force and a few computer workers had flash guns. It was a massacre. Everyone was <coughs> screaming and running for cover. The halls and tunnels were uh, filled as full as possible. We believe it was the Delta Force because of the uniforms and methods they used. They chose to hit at shift change, an effort that killed as many as named on their list. We to this day do not know who betrayed us. Gordon Henry ran beside me and we ran to the third level exit tunnel and he died when several bullets slammed into his back. I vaporized that assassin and kept running and I'm still running. 
Gordon will be remembered. That's just the beginning. I'm sorry. I know it was long, but it's just <laughs> going. Oh, my word. No, no. Like, you you don't get it unless you read it. But it's I like, had to read it because this is the source material for, like, everything that people talk about, right? I don't understand how anyone believes this. Like, there might <laughs> be some core truths that this whole fantasy is spun out around. But at this point, right, it's like science fiction. And when I read this, I'm thinking to myself... L. Ron Hubbard wrote this like legitimately. Yeah, yeah I, seriously. And I'll get into who wrote this because I did find out. <laughs> but I thought it, I thought it was L. Ron Hubbard. And I was like, oh, my gosh, because he used to work with the government to like screw right. over people who he didn't like. And I could see him working with the government again. And it sounds so much like Battlefield Earth. It really sounds like <laughs> Battlefield Earth. Yeah. And I'm like, is, is this L. Ron Hubbard? It's just, honestly, it's like fan fiction with you as the anyway. Continue. But I, I want to come back to that though. So let's continue with the with with the the theory that, that everybody's going with, right? And that's the that uh, according to these sites, according to Jason Bishop and others, and uh, and Brandon or whatever his name was, I already forgot it. Within a year of Thomas Costello making these claims and doing this interview, supposedly he disappeared. And again, according to Jason Bishop, him and his family fled to Europe in fear for their safety. No records exist that match with Costello's claims about his own identity. And this is where some people ask the question, was he using a fake name? Was he using fake details? Did the government erase him entirely from the public record? And I hate that I don't like, I can't go down that road because I think it's already pretty clear. This is like a, a bullshit story, but I just want to point out, like there are things in this episode where I'm like, it's not that the concept or idea or even the conspiracy theory and its origins is is bs i think so much of it is is obviously bs especially coming from richard doty because it has to cover things that are true and if you make the things that are true look insane then nobody believes them and the people that do are on you know going down the wrong rabbit holes so what i'm saying in all that is could someone could a whistleblower for instance we'll talk about bob lazar and on another date mm-hmm. could someone like him have been telling the truth and then their records of where they went to college were completely erased. I believe they could, sure. but this is just, this is just crap. Right. <laughs> um, so <It's>, <laughs> there's so much of it, honestly reminds me and it, it, it entirely reminds me of the, um, uh, Michael Sala Anunnaki yeah. group right now. And this is the way that they talk about, the aliens and it's it's like it's like this insider everyone who's talking is on the inside and the questions they're asking are insider questions and to this whole fantasy and it's like can somebody like ask the like the obvious questions can we get outside of the fantasy long enough to like acknowledge that most of the world thinks this is this is wild and and like well it also just just doesn't in their it also doesn't help your it doesn't help you in any way, whether you're trying to convince people or not, or you just get to the truth. Right. It helps you none at all when someone takes something that you believe in, then spins a wild fan fiction about it, and then you believe the fan fiction. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it, who does that? Who does that help? It makes you look crazy, er. And again, maybe your point isn't that you want to look sane to normal people who aren't getting it, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe the point is you want to find the truth. You're not going to find the truth by believing obvious, poorly written fan fiction. Um, so yeah, anyway, he disappears to Europe, supposedly, according to, to the people that he talked to, mm-hmm. uh, with his family f- fearing for his life. People, nobody's seen him since 1989. 
And uh, but somehow he must have been passing things on to people like Branton, who wrote the book, The Dulce Papers, uh, likely through someone like Jason Bishop, if he exists at all. And in 2009, Jason Bishop claims that Costello is terminally ill and wishes to speak out about uh, speak out and publish all of his records. And he's writing a book. So Jason Costello is like, look, I know you guys have seen him in 20 years. I'm still in contact with him. I'm not going to say where he's at, but he's going to publish everything in early 2010. So start Mm -hmm. writing your questions on this forum of mine. And let me know what you want him to talk about and we'll, we'll get it to him and he'll, okay. he'll publish a book and all that. And then the next post is that, uh, that uh, Ed, Thomas Evan Costello was found murdered in his Costa Rica home and his papers and all of his evidence were stolen and missing. And again, this comes from Jason Bishop. So <laughs> okay. we're going to circle back to this. I want to keep going with like who, who else continued the, the Dolce thing. And then next person we already mentioned a little bit is Branton. He published his first book of the Dolce papers, January 6th of 1996. And then it published his next one in 2001, the Dolce wars. Um, but the guy who you see who influences who a little bit, but before Branton even finished publishing that book, we have a guy named Phil Schneider and Phil began speaking publicly about his involvement with the Dolce base in a series of public lectures beginning in 1995. And he said that he decided to go public after the U.S. government murdered his friend, Ron Rummel, who was the publisher of Alien Digest in September of 1993. I, this is another one of those things where there's a lot of websites that will say he shot himself in the head, but there's no blood on the gun. And it was obviously a hit and it wasn't a suicide. Mm. But I found in a couple of these cases that we're going to talk about and I put some of the the notes in the in the description if people want to look into it. Mm, I can't find anything that backs up this at all, like coroner's reports, obituaries. It's the guy did die. He shot himself in the head on a park bench in September of 1993. Okay. But even people close to him really believe it was a suicide, and and it seems like mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk about Phil Schneider's death in a little bit. But there's so many l- outright lies about that one that are easy to disprove. So I uh, I couldn't find enough on Ron Rummel, and I didn't care enough to to yeah, dig like to see trying. if he was killed for getting on the truth. And maybe he yeah. was. I'm not saying he wasn't. Sure. Uh, I just don't think he was. Seems like people are trying really hard to make these uh, executions instead of something else. Could be. And again, it's like maybe. I, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. We ob- obviously this stuff happens. We're going to be talking about the Clinton uh, body count here in a, very soon on a future episode really soon, but I just couldn't find enough. That was not just like the rumor mill that seemed to get bigger and wilder. The more it went on, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I, that's all I'll say about him. But uh, so Phil Schneider says he's going to start speaking after his friend, Ron Rummel is executed by the United States government or killed himself. And also from a bit of prodding by Al Bielik. And if you're familiar with that name, he is a survivor of the Philadelphia experiment and Phil Schneider would later go on to say that his father was a German U-boat commander and witness to the Philadelphia experiment guy that's friends with Al Bielik and wants credibility in the conspiracy circles, then claims his father is a German U-boat captain. I don't know how this, I don't know where he was going with it because his dad was Jewish and born in California. So there's like no truth. It's like a very obviously not true thing. Um, he was an engineer and geologist. That part is at least true. And he said that he played a role in the construction of several deep underground military bases across the United States. And as a result, he is exposed to classified information of various sorts, as well as having personal experience with extraterrestrial 
biological entities, or he calls EBEs. And he was one of the survivors of a battle with aliens in August of 1979. And he detailed this at the Preparedness Expo in 1995. I'm going to play about five minutes of this clip because it's worth it. Um, This is another one, one of those where it's just like, I feel like it's better to hear him say it than for me to summarize what he says. Sure. Um, Same with that interview we just read. It's it's you, you get if I told you his claims, you could go. Oh, maybe, you know, but if you hear it in its full context, it it's, paints a different story. And I think Phil Schneider is the same way. So check this out. On the southwest part of the Archelada Mesa, uh, we built an underground facility, a better part of three cubic miles hollowed out underground. Then to the southwest of that, we built, we were, we were in the process of the early stages of building. We drilled four large uh, tunnel-like holes. Some of them ran two and a half miles under the surface. Uh, number the early at that time. Number the original uh, uh, wells or dr- uh, drilling uh, machines that were used were were um, uh, at the rate of up two miles a day. It was fairly rapid. The equipment kept coming up broken. So we wanted to go down and send somebody down there, a human observer, or human observers in this case, to find out what was going on. Well, to our total surprise, first of all, the government knew all about it. They didn't tell anybody. Uh, When I saw Green Beret and Black Beret people encamped inside of our geologist camp, I knew something was up, the gig was up. First of all, I knew all about the alien agenda. I'll explain that in a few minutes. The large alien graves had been encamped there for as best as believed possible about four or five hundred years. It had been one of their internal bases. And we we drilled holes right on top of it. All the stinking air, all the black sooty air came right out as soon as one the first hole was sunk and all this soot came up and well that's when it all all the hail broke loose, really, all it started. Anyway, after we drilled all four holes, it took about a, two days to drill all four of them. And when you build an underground base, you drill four basic holes, and you build you know, called stopes or cross-member holes across, and you bla- use blasting equipment, you know, special blasting equipment by the analyzation of the rock formation, and you literally blast out or tunnel out or, or deflagrate or melt rock out to build the large rooms that are required for these underground. I, sorry, I just want to say one thing. This yeah. this already is a little weird to me because he's talking. He's a geologist, and what he's explaining is actually le- legit, right? But it, which one is it? Is it that Thomas Costello told us that Rand Corporation in the '60s already had boring machines that could do magic, or that they were doing old school like real rock tunneling? But geologists would actually do. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm, right. It's just a the thing for me. Brown base. Well, in this process, I was lowered down the basket of one of these holes, and about from me to this elderly woman here in the front was sitting a seven-foot-tall alien gray. The stench was worse than the worst garbage can you can imagine. Uh, the person was at, or the entity was absolutely horrible. I didn't waste any time to reach for my pistol. At that time, as an engineer, I didn't have time to carry all the folder, all of one of these big 
the submachine guns at all the sea spray and the yellow fruit and the, all the uh, outer perimeter and inner perimeter security people carried. I carried old Walter PPK pistol with a nine-shot clip. <clears throat> this was in late August of 1979. Now, you got a regular suit of clothes. You got a regular clothes on. Plus, you're in a almost like a spacesuit environment, and you're reaching for a gun. It's it's not the easiest thing to do, and then to pop a clip in it and start. That's the guy who's never carried a gun in his life. Yeah, yeah. He he really. <laughs> uh, you you reach for your gun, and then you pop the clip in it. You mean the magazine? No, no. But for real, who who? carries i've heard of people not carrying one in the chamber which i think is stupid but not carrying a magazine in the in the magazine well i've never heard of that that's that's a new one to me guys i just i find that funny sorry no but like before i continue because i got a few more minutes this just based off what you've heard so far like do you have an impression of this guy at all on the one hand it's it's tempting to be like, well, he's speaking so matter-of-factly and giving all the details, but I think that that's kind of the problem. It's it's this whole fantasy that he's built up, and he's giving the details of his fantasy world to convince you that it's real, but... It's the matter-of-factly thing that actually sticks out to me because I, yeah. I've known enough um, well, habitual liars, people who are just like always live in their fantasy and will just yes. continually lie as long as nobody calls them on it. And they sound 110% exactly like this guy every time. So like for me watching this, I'm just like, oh, this is just, that's why I wanted to play a clip because I'm like, this is just a guy who is obviously spinning a yarn, right? But we'll keep going. Start shooting. And I killed two of them. Yes, they're mortal and they do die. However, in the process, uh, one of them he's did. a little insufferable is that is that what you're laughing at he's just they're always the hero he's always the hero yeah, yeah. he's the hero yep. I, yep. I killed, I killed myself a seven foot tall gray with my Walther PPK no, nine did. round clip yeah see like he looks like a pasty fiction author who's been sitting in his basement for forever <laughs> and it's like no I don't believe you 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 shot a gray like uh, all right, just a, few, just a few more minutes of this. This, I re- all I remember is that he just kind of waved his hand in front of his chest, and the next thing I know, this blue beam hit me and just literally opened me up like a fish, and every, uh, burnt burnt my fingers right off of me, and it was some form of electrical force because the kind of like hit being hit by a lightning bolt burned all my toenails off of me, uh, completely crispy crittered my left foot burnt the shoe right off of me okay how are you like um all i remember is so this is where i think he's very familiar with um the work of edwin costello Mm. because one of the parts we didn't get to the the next part actually he goes into explaining the flash guns and he's like look they have a Mm. phaser setting that can knock people out they've got another setting which can grab anything of any weight and lift it and move it around you know like like in a video game or sci-fi book or star trek and then the third setting is the kill setting but the kill setting will make you appear dead and it'll blow a hole in you, but then you won't be dead because your spiritual essence will hang on to the flesh and it won't ever leave and you'll come back and it'll your your body will like heal back to its whole thing, right? Like the flash guns, like, yeah. No. like. So I think, I don't know. I think he's like giving a whole flash gun thing like straight out of the, the Dolce papers, but yeah. 
Wow. The smoking remains, and I'm laying almost, I'm still conscious, but in and out of, I didn't remember much. He also, he also is missing fingers for people who are not watching. Right. He does have a chest wound. The thing is that his college roommates like, yeah, he lost his fingers in an electric, you know, as a lineman. And that's why that looks like an electrical, like this is, you know, people around right. him, his family members, people he went they to college know. with, wow. they're like, no, this guy had been missing his fingers for a long time. Also, I'm not going to get into his whole thing because I want to move on from him rather quickly because I think it's, I think you know how I feel already and you can look into this yourself if you want, but his dates just don't line up. Like the biggest reason that anybody can just look at this guy and go, it doesn't matter whether I believe him or not is like he was 17 when he was supposedly like mm. this high level security clearance thing and all this other, his, his dates just don't line up cool. at all. Like he's yeah. a geologist with these degrees and all this stuff, but he was already through his degrees working for Dolce base and all this crap when he's like 17 years old. It's just not a thing. And there was a, a green beret that was right behind me that risked his life. In fact, he died. But he risked his life. He shoved me back in the bass and hit the button and took me up. And I wouldn't be alive talking to you today. <laughs> I survived, but a green beret didn't. Just like Gordo, right? <laughs> it's the same story. Oh, my God. It's the same story as Edwin Costello. This guy saved me. Did he? Hold on. I want to hear. Slide. 66 Secret Service agents, Green Berets, Black Berets, crack troops lost their lives because the government. Are what are Black Berets? You don't know what Black Berets are, PJ? They're Green Berets, but way cooler, and they work on alien bases. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the story. Green Berets, Black Berets, Black Berets, Secret Service, they were all there. I'm like, Secret Service? Crack the, teams. The federal investigators who do presidential protection details were and the, black beret like the army rangers were black berets but the, he's not talking about the army rangers the thing that gets me about about the stories that these guys guys tell is that except for all like the fantastical alien stuff they sound exactly like stolen valor valor stories they it's, sound what it's, it's what it is exactly right he's, a, they, he's an idiot who got injured as an electrician Right. Who's pretending that he fought with green berets and black berets they and then whiskey biz the is talking about way. orange berets. We don't, we don't talk about the orange berets here. Guy. I mean, that's, <laughs> they are on another level. <laughs> 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 they make black berets look like pussies, but all the stolen valor guys are the same. They, they yes. wanted to get into the military. Couldn't because of some physical thing, generally speaking. And then, just built up these incredible stories the, so that they could sound cool. The worst stolen valor people I've ever met in my life were at the 30th AG in, uh, in, in Georgia, mm -hmm. which is, which is um, Fort Benning, right? So it's, it's your entrance. And when you get to Fort Benning, you stay at 30th, 30th AG until you get put into uh, a, sorry, I want to say basic training, basic training. And uh, when guys get injured in basic training, they go back to 30th AG and they wait to get out, you know, kicked out of there. If they get injured or they get kicked out for some reason, they go yeah. back to 30th AG. They hang out with all the new guys who haven't even started um, basic training yet. Uh -huh. And in 30th AG, you'll hear guys that are like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I'm here because of this and that and the other. And I dove on a grenade to save a friend. And like, you know that they're like working on the stories. They're going to go home and tell people because they're right. quitters, because they're they're cowards. And that's the worst stolen valor I've ever heard in my life. So when I listen to this guy, I'm like, I've just heard a million guys like this exactly. and everybody, yeah. everybody who knows him's like, yeah, that guy, he, he freaking pushed out because he broke a toenail on the climbing rope and, you know, quit basic training. Like he's just, yeah. a, he's just a big loser. Right. 
but he'll tell these. I've literally heard guys say that they jumped on a grenade that at a live training exercise. I'm like, you, where are you injured from a grenade? A hole. <laughs> you know what I mean? D- tell, tell me you watched. <laughs> Tell me you watched Captain America. Um. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I heard the story, right? And you just you know these guys are full of crap, and you know they're going to go home and talk about how they're vets because they always do. They always do. This is just that. I've just heard of this so many times, but there's a little bit more I want to. Wait a second. Answer what Sater says. Pink berets or even higher up. Pink berets. The pink. No. Oh, pink pink berets. Dude, we're going to have to do a whole episode on pank braids. I didn't know that you guys were that well informed on conspiracy stuff. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> answered Sater's canceled. Uh, Strawberry coffee. blonde braids. Guys. Our United States government lied to not tell us anything about the alien threat. There's a war underneath there, and I'm d- talking dead serious. It's been going on since that time. Since late August of 1979, our military, the Russian military, basically the militaries of the world, have been in constant conflict with the outer space alien. The the small gray, the large gray, the reptilians, the whole thing. There There are 11 distinct races of aliens. Two are benevolent. One had to leave here in a hurry because their world is under attack, both on the surface of all underground there, the Pleiadesians. They're familiar. The, the Pleiadesians? <laughs> the Pleiadesians. He's literally telling you the story really quickly of Battlefield Earth again. They're oh on attack God. on their home. They had to leave early because they're on attack on and below their surface. I'm like, that's literally Battlefield Earth. And then you call them the Pleiadesians. Pleiadesians. <laughs> Be some of you are familiar with that. Uh, would some of you raise your hands who've heard of Billy Meyer and uh, some of the, uh, oh, very good, about half the group. Well, Billy Meyer is one of these lucky people that they figured, well, he's kind of a simple type. We'll show him everything. Well, these are the benevolent aliens, and they've been here helping us. In fact, I have a picture. I have a picture. Let me reach for it here. I have a picture of one of the aliens been working for the United States Pentagon for the last 58 years. His name is Val, Val Valiant Thor. All right, so I'll end it there. Just I wanted to get to that part because I'm like, look, I know people have asked us to cover Valiant <laughs> Thor. We will. We will at some uh, point. Lorna so Dune says, it's Wednesday, so we wear pink braids. And Base yeah. Babe says, otherwise you can't sit with us. <laughs> I get that reference. <laughs> I have three sisters. It's like one of the one of the two movies I've seen. Um, yeah, yeah, I can't I can't bring up comments tonight, but um, <laughs> that's oh, good. Man. That's good. That's good. So, I mean, I I can't hide. like. There's a certain point. I know there's like a thing where people do it well, and maybe I don't do it well. Where <laughs> they try to be like, oh, is it believable? And then they crush your hopes at the end. <laughs> and I just can't do it. I think he's full of crap, guys. But let's talk about his death because this is the weird part. This is the okay. weird part, right? So on January 17th, 1996, after he's going on this tour and talking about the aliens and saying he's exposing the base and they're going to try to kill him, he was found dead in his apartment in uh, Oregon. And he had apparently been dead for several days, perhaps up to a week And by the time they found him. And he reportedly had a rubber hose wrapped three times around his neck. And so 
some people are saying that the coroners ruled his death as a stroke. They didn't. That's not true. Um, Cause that's the weird part. If I told you, look, they found a guy who was strangled to death and ruled it as a stroke. Ruled You'd be like, stroke, oh, yeah. okay, this guy was super duper killed. What's weird is the form of suicide, right? Cause I do think this was suicide. And again, I'm one of those people who generally doesn't think that. I mean, we just did a whole Matthew Perry thing, right? right? But I think this guy was, he, he was, listen, he had suffered from all these mental illnesses his whole life. He had brittle bone syndrome. He had chronic pain. And he was constantly on these speaking tours talking about how he had cancer and he did not have very much time left to live. Uh, and he says he got the cancer from cobalt radiation, cobalt radiation at Dolce with his Ro- Romian 37 clearance or whatever. Right. But he also has a very well documented history of mental illness, institutionalization and self inflicted injuries, like a lot of history of, around him hurting himself. He's right. got scratches around his neck that he says are from the aliens, his family's like, no, he was a cutter and he was right. suicidal and he tried to kill himself a lot. Um, also, the biggest reason that I do think it was suicide is because uh, Gabe Valdez actually looked into this. So there was a lady who was a psychic and she was saying, she, this is where the rumors started. There was a psychic lady who started lying about the, the details of his death and saying, I know the real details because mm-hmm. I saw it in a vision and a demon or something spoke to me. Right. And if you could send me money, Gabe Valdez and others, then I could help take care of, you know, because he didn't have life insurance. So I don't think he was married or had kids either. But like my point is some scammer was going around pushing this hoax. Gabe Valdez, still a cop, decides to look into this and look at the coroner's report and the autopsy. And he's like, this this guy's a, a hoaxer. He's a fraud. And he very clearly tied a, a thing around his neck and twisted it until, you know, like there's like a half knot and he twisted it until it cut off his circulation. And then he, he died from self strangulation. Like right. it is a real method. It wasn't loosely around his neck. It wasn't a suicide. It wasn't a piano wire has been written on the internet. They didn't rule it a stroke. <clears throat> it's just, and honestly, I mean, this guy wants notoriety after his death. He's going to probably try to kill himself in a way that right. doesn't quite look, it's not like a hand, you know, my point is, I do think it was suicide. Um, but one of the things is, like, some people will say, you know, was he killed for telling the truth? Was he killed? Maybe maybe he was killed, right? And the only reason, the only thing I could come up with for why he might have been killed, because I think his story's bogus, right? Like, that's the mm-hmm. other reason I don't think the government killed him. Right. The only thing that I can come up with in this, if you want to go that route, is that he was another disinformation agent. And the only thing that makes me think he could have been more than just... Uh, self gratifying liar who's latching onto a story in the final throes of his life. Cause he's kind of, you know, a, a, loser. a loser is because he talks about the whole, like, I know he talked about black berets and green berets, this whole thing, but he's kind of the guy that's pushing this theory that the arch of Mesa during this time had a lot of commandos around mm. it. And if you remember the green berets were a conspiracy theory for a, quite a while, actually at this mm-hmm. time, supposedly now that we know that the green Bar- or the not, sorry, not green berets, special forces, green berets, whatever exists, at the time or Delta force. Sorry. That's what I was trying to say. Delta Delta force was a conspiracy theory for a time. Delta force was only formed about nine, about 18 months before this whole thing supposedly took place. And he's saying that they were there in the nineties. They were already known about, right? So he's not blowing the whistle off of anything, but they were new. Why would they be there? It doesn't make sense. But if they're trying to cover up anything, it's the fact that uh, Richard Doty going back to him, 
actually talked about how that they used the Archuleta Mesa to train these troops back then. Right. I found a clip of it. Check this out. This is this was weird. Paul is a pilot. And he had a plane and he flew he flew around those areas and he saw things and he filmed things up there that again presented a problem for us because what he was filming up there was actually a a a, a secretive military installation that was training uh, 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 commandos. So then we had to convince Paul that what he was seeing up there was again UFOs. The Air Force. Act. So anyway, my whole point in playing that, besides just to show what a dick Richard Doty is, yeah. is that one of the things that Paul had discovered was that they were using the Archuleta Mesa for training troops, and it does kind of line up. So like, if they're throwing out real information with false information, it might be the fact that Delta Force was a real thing. It was a conspiracy theory back then, and they were being trained in secret in this New Mexico place. But again, I just think that's kind of crap. It's a little bit of a reach. So what I want to go to is just was anyone telling like who, if anyone was telling us the truth about about Dolce, right? About anything, right? So you remember Jason Bishop? I said, I want to go back to that. Yeah. The cattle mutilation guy, right? No, no, no. Jason Bishop was the guy who was getting the information from Thomas Costello. Got it. Got it. Right. The interviews and stuff like that. He was an avid reader of something called amazing stories. And if you're familiar with amazing stories or Ray Palmer, that'll come up a lot in UFO stories. Uh, it was kind of a pulp magazine put out these stories. And one of its most famous stories that gets talked about a lot, a lot, a lot was titled the shaver mystery. And this is a sci-fi that many people have taken to be real because it was written by a World War II vet. And then they claimed that these were not just stories. These are things that happened to him after the war and that he did work for the CIA and he was going into these underground things and finding draconian, uh, you know, reptilian things and stuff like that. And what I realized is not only is this come up a lot in UFO stuff, but this comes up as a influence, a noted influence for people like L. Ron Hubbard. So when I'm reading the story going like, it sounds like L. Ron Hubbard. Well, Jason Bishop was also a fan of this amazing stories. And it seems like he got his inspiration from the same place, but Jason Bishop doesn't even exist. And that's the weirder part about this is that he's not, he's not even like a, he's not even like a real person. His, what he really is, is a guy named Tal Levasque. And in 2018, I think it was a researcher named um, Adam go rightly in his book, saucers, spooks and kooks kind of blew the whistle, blew the lid off this whole thing of where this all came from uh, by asking some simple questions that I, we kind of left unanswered earlier. So here's this article. And there's a few other articles, actually Mysterious Universe wrote about this. This one just sums it up a little bit quicker. So that's why I'm choosing this one. It says, Thomas E. Costello never existed, admitted the late Tal Levesque, originator of the Dolce base myths. According to the author, a new highly recommended According to the author of a new, highly recommended, fascinating, and thought-provoking book, Saucer Spooks and Kooks, UFO Disinformation in the Age of Aquarius, Adam Go rightly stated that just a few months before finishing the first draft of his book, he was informed that Tal Levasque passed away on December 21st, 2018, to his final resting place in the inner earth, where he'll no doubt be reunited with friends and lovers like Richard Shaver and Mary Martin. As it is above, so it is below. That was his obituary. So... Go rightly continues during the multi-year correspondence. Tal repeatedly claimed that Thomas Costello was a real person and that the Dolce base material was authentic. Nonetheless, I continue to press him during our email exchanges, never directly calling him out on what I suspected his role was in the creation of the Dolce base mythos. Just asking the questions again and again in different ways until at last the dam broke and Tal shared the truth or at least something close to that. 
The question I posed that elicited Tal's final email to me concerned an alleged interview with Thomas Castell, the one we were reading from earlier. That surfaced in the 1980s, an artifact which I assumed originated with Tal. My question, when did this interview with Costello take place? I thought he was hiding after 89. Tal's email response was as follows. Because again, I was pointing out earlier, it doesn't say who he's who's interviewing him. It doesn't say when this was. It right. seems like it starts showing up on the internet in the 90s, right? But like he's in hiding, right? So he's just asking this question like, who is like, how did this come about? Isn't he in hiding? Like, you know, this guy, you're the only guy who has, you know, real contact with him. And Tal's response says, you still don't get it. Thomas Evan Costello is a creation, a myth. I took rantings from a heavily drugged woman Ann West, AKA Sherry Hinkle made corrections to stuff that was really wrong. Added my own real research, mixed it together. That was the basis of the two original Dulce base articles. Literally, I made a hundred page envelope packets with supporting material about underground bases, genetic research, hidden science, R and D, et cetera, and sent the materials to authors and lecturers who then took it into their talks, articles, and books. This made it look like it was coming from more than one source. You see, I had a copy of the 1959 Rand project on deep construction, a friend's father designed improvements on the tube shuttle system. He worked with Warner von Braun. I would go on vacations with them to Edwards air force base VIP stuff. My father worked for magic. I worked in advanced project development later as a counterintelligence and a security supervisor, which this is starting to lead me back to like, is this guy a disinformation agent too? It's weird, right? I got mixed up. It, I, I mixed stuff. I was supposed to take public into the Dolce myth. The goal was manipulating ufology in another direction away from the boring lights in the sky stuff to affect the public imagination. So Norio Hayakawa was right. I was behind a mind game when it caught on. I could not reveal what was true. And what was not. I had to protect Sherry Hinkle. Um, I had to protect that Sherry Hinkle was out of her mind and, and I kept going and it kept going later. Uh, Cherry and I had a falling out when she went public on Facebook saying she was the secret source, but source of what? Have you ever read any of her porno Dolce revelations? I'm not that familiar with Cherry Hinkle, except she's like some crazed internet Got lunatic. Um, she came up a few times in this the interview never happened. It was a creative writing. I asked several people to submit questions for TEC, which I was talking about earlier, then sent them on to Sherry. This was done twice. Sorry, I keep saying Sherry, but I think it's actually Cherry. It's just hard to call someone Cherry. Yeah. Like that's a real name. That's fair. She answers the question as if she was TEC. I do not think he ever existed, but I'm going public, but I'm not going public without opinion. Are you kidding? Look at how the Dolce myth has changed ufology and sci-fi. So no mixing of words on why he created it, that it was created by him. And did you notice when we were reading the interview, all the parts that were super capitalized as I was kind of making jokes about were the parts about underground bases and inner and, and uh, hollow earth stuff. It's because this guy was a hollow earth researcher and nobody wanted to read his stuff. He was like trying to tell people for 20, 30 years about the hollow earth and the UFO entrances to the deep underground reptoid bases and stuff like that. And then he finally gets to say, look, I researched a lot of this stuff. I think it's kind of true. I'm going to mix it in with the the ranting and raving of Cherry Hinkle and then fit it into the Dolce thing. And maybe people will buy into it enough to start looking at hollow earth like I've been trying to do since the 60s. And that's what he did. Yep. Yeah. 
So we we've, we bring this up a lot. There's there's somebody who they have a true thing, or they have a thing that they think is true, and then they just start lying and lying. They, they, yeah, all and they believe the so thing, desperate. right? Like this is the thing. Televask, yeah. I think I don't think he's a disinformation agent. I, I honestly don't. I was making that joke because. He does have ties, right? And everybody's got ties and that's what makes it confusing. And I understand the, the complexities of being in this world at this time where you're not sure who's actually working for the government, right? But he really believes the hollow earth thing so much that he'll lie to get people to care about hollow earth, right? It's wild. Yeah. Uh, it, I, and I hate people <coughs> like that, but I, I, you meet them all the time. People who are just so desperate to get you to believe something that's a lie and that just shoots <clears> themselves in the foot over it. Yeah, it's exactly what this did, right? And uh, I mean, anybody who honestly looks into this is going to come to that realization that Talavask made up this crap, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that Richard Doty fed Paul Benowitz stuff. And mm-hmm. who, I mean, who in this story was not either a liar or in Phil Schneider's case, he was literally just taking everything everybody else said. He was just stealing from other people. Right. His, his dates don't match up. He's an obvious liar, whatever, mm-hmm. right? So... I want to get into a few theories, then we'll close this episode out. Um, And the first theory has to do with another project. Make this quick called Project Gas Buggy. You ever heard of this? Nope. So Project Gas Buggy was an underground nuclear detonation that was carried carried out by the United States Atomic Energy Commission on December 10th, 1967 in the rural northern New Mexico. This really happened, by the way, and I did not know this. Its purpose was to determine if nuclear explosions could be useful in fracturing rock formations for natural gas extraction. This took place only 21 miles away from Dolce. So 21 miles away from where all this stuff is happening, they blew up a nuke underground to see if they could frack that way. Like, I'm just thinking to myself, like, who thinks like this? The United States government thinks like this. Let's just blow up nukes underground near the, the water table and, you know, spew all that in the air because fracking or something, right? So Gabe Valdez, going back to him, believed that the cattle mutilation was actually to test the nuclear fallout on livestock and that basically the government just wanted to figure out how much they messed up <laughs> by killing and, ch- and testing cows and things like that. They could see how bad this fallout was and if they needed to warn the public about it or if they could get away with like, oh yeah, we blew up a nuke like 20 miles from a town underground and we had no idea what that would do um and his findings sort of back this up including the mutant calf thing like it could it couldn't make sense of it right but like if there is actual enough nuclear radiation happening to these livestock are they having mutated weird children i don't know also uh he found drugs in in some of these cows so on may 2nd 1979 valdez told the press that two drugs have been found in the remains of a mutilated bull found in Torrance County on February 15th. And he reported the drug, uh, chlora- oh my gosh, chloroprom, hmm, Thorazine. That's the shorter name for it. Thorazine was used to tranquilize and immobilize the animal while second unnamed drug was used to clog the blood and remove it through the jugular vein. Valdez told papers. We know this stuff is made here and it isn't from outer space. Whoever is doing it is highly sophisticated and they've become a lot and they have a lot of resources. They're really well organized. Now, granted, Valdez wanted to believe that this was government helicopters swooping in and taking the the cattle from the beginning. So he's a little bit biased in that sense. But it, it does make sense that maybe some of this cattle mutilation is the government 
testing things. I don't know. Do you think that, what do you think of that theory? It's, it's like there's a completely separate thing that's going on with cattle mutilations that got like bound up in this whole Dolce base thing. Yeah. But I don't have an answer and I don't. Well, the reason it's, it's bound up, but it might be the important part is a lot mm. of what was fed to Benowitz was why are you seeing weird things in the sky and why are cattle being mutilated? Right. And why, you know, like, are they right. testing people even maybe? Are they testing, you know, is this the missing form like one stuff, you know? for suggesting reasons why. But Gabe Valdez is always trying to take it back to the cattle mutilation thing. I agree with you. I just find it interesting. It's at least an interesting theory. There's something going on in it and <clears throat> cattle mutilations are like the most well-documented part of it, right? Right. Yeah. But it's the least full of shit part of this for sure. Right. But the whole there's there's a seven la- layer at least base with all sorts of different types of aliens and all of this wild story. It's well, I think all of that was just spun out of people who wanted to hop onto right. Benowitz's story, exactly. right? Exactly. And Benowitz's story was mostly BS. We don't know what of it was true. I don't want to say it's all not true. Obviously, there had to have been real things in there to sell it to to the public, right? But. Who's to say? Also, um, Gabe Valdez uh, and his son detailed this theory and others in a book called Dulce Base, The Truth and Evidence from the Case Files of Gabe Valdez. And they believed, or at least his son publicly said, that they believed that Myrna Hansen was part of the PSYOP and that the uh, Afro-Psy, start, Afro-Psy started monitoring him and Benowitz before he came to them with his footage. So that, remember at the beginning I said the dates are important. He meets... Gabe Valdez in June of 79, he goes to Richard Doty in October of eight of 1980. And according to Doty and others, that's when they started messing with Benowitz. But there might be more to the story because the Myrna Hansen thing is weird and it happens right after, you know, shortly after Gabe and, and Paul Benowitz meet. And according to Gabe's son, he says it is a possibility that the Myrna Hansen story was also part of the disinformation campaign. I will go out on a limb here and say that the story of Myrna Hansen was probably a well-orchestrated hoax because of a very important fact. The listening device found in my dad's house. The government heard all the conversations on the phone between my dad and Benowitz. So such a hoax would be relatively easy to accomplish. Myrna Hansen came into the picture on May in May of 1980 and the air force did not even acknowledge contact with Paul until November of 1980. Although this evidence can barely or can barely be viewed as even circumstantial, it would explain a lot of things and how and why they transpired during the eighties based on what we currently know. Um, what do you think of the Myrna Hansen thing? Do you think they, that was a part of the psyop or do you think it really did start when he, when they realized that he's like, kind of, you know, Paul's kind of spying on Kirtland air force base. I honestly, like there are so many threads. It's just, it's just difficult to know what I know. not. I was trying not to fit too much into here. I had to cut things because it's a lot of information. So, no, it's definitely. I definitely think that there are some, some like little pinpricks of truth, but it feels like almost everything here is bullshit. Yeah, or some level of bullshit. The last thing I want to say about Gabe Valdez that's just a little bit weird to me, and I might be reading too much into this, mm-hmm. is that according to Huffington Post, which looked into you know interviewed Gabe and talked to him and looked into this story. They said that uh, Valdez became, or and a few other people said this too, but Valdez believes that Doty was only under orders to lie to Benowitz in order to cover up the U.S. military secrets he felt were too sensitive to speak of. Basically, some people are saying Doty felt like 
he was a pawn in this game too. Like he was doing some pretty shady stuff. He's still doing some pretty shady stuff, I think. But people close to him seem to like him. This is the weird part to me is like Paul Benowitz remained friends with Richard Doty even after like the, everything came out that R- Richard Doty was lying to him, using him as a disinformation agent. Like Gabe Valdez stayed friends with Paul Benowitz and Richard Doty. And eventually, as it says here, through all of this, Valdez remained friends with the two men, eventually helping Doty secure a job as a policeman in New Mexico. And I just, I find it weird why, why, what is it about this guy that people are like, he's lying to me, using me, probably breaking into my house and drugging me, but we're friends and I want to help him out and keep him around. Is he just that convincing? Is he just that good of a liar or I, I just can't make sense of it. Me neither. <laughs> like, I don't want to go out go as far as say like Gabe Bell is a disinformation agent because he's friends with Dodie. I don't think so, but like I don't, that's the part of the story I'm, I'm struggling with is like, because what this feels like is just a giant collection of government disinformation, disinformation agents and useful idiots. Yeah. And, and the no. useful idiots like remain friends with the people they know are like screwing them. Which is wild, right? It is wild. It's, but it does make you like, it does beg the question, right? Like what is the government covering, covering up with the disinformation campaign and how is the government so successful occasionally? Because, Generally, they're really shit at what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, see, this that's what's so funny is they generally are. But like in cases like this, they're, they can be really sophisticated and really good at, at yeah. manipulation, you know, manipulating other people. And in fact, and it might just be the fact that these people want to believe so badly that they're just easier to manipulate. And that's the unfortunate mm-hmm. part of this is I think Dodie in one interview said, I didn't have to do much. I had to suggest what they already wanted to hear. And then they ran with it. And why did they want to hear it? Like, why would they, they, they so... wanted to have their beliefs confirmed? I think. Hmm. But but where like before Dolce Base, what what was the was it just the general UFO craze or? I think by what they wanted to hear was that the government's working with you know the aliens and that the conspiracy is okay. bigger and grander and and deeper and there's it's more here and you can everything. write a book and it's a theory of everything and yeah it's a bit of Got it. yeah yeah like I. I start to have a hard time with with the narratives when it's like and there's these massive underground bases and there's all sorts of aliens and I visited there and I'm the main character. And I, I just I hear these stories. They just keep popping up throughout like history. They work on now. two levels, though, don't they? They work on the like maybe level like it's sure. interesting and also just the pure entertainment level sure. because people that hate like people that think they're full of crap love reading this stuff. Yeah. It's, you know what I mean? It's it's part of it is it's too complex to easily. You, you get one person and it's it's his eyewitness testimony, right? Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly detailed. And it's like, how how do you begin to debunk the eyewitness testimony of someone well, talking about something you've never heard of before? If J.R.R. Tolkien said that Lord of the Rings was eyewitness testimony, it would still be the same book. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like it's, it's fiction is fiction. Fiction is fiction. Whether I call it fiction or not. Um, yeah, I don't know. F- final thoughts. This way. What do you think is true, if anything, about this? There's definitely something weird going on with the cattle mutilations. 100%. There's de- definitely something going on in the area if they have, if the commandos thing is is for sure, right? Like, they're, they're, like the government's using the land for something. 
that well, that's the point. People to know about. Just there. nobody talks about the Richard Doty. Even at one point, it's like, yeah, we were using this land. Yeah. So what were they using it for? I don't think doing? it was a deep underground military base, or maybe it was, but it wasn't what they said it was. Right? Something right. was happening there. Right. And Doty, Doty even says he's like, when I went out there with Paul or with Paul Benowitz and saw the lights, I was confused. I didn't know what they were, and then I had to go talk to my superiors, and they gave me an explanation, but I'll never tell you what it is. Right. So like some, there's something, something going really yeah. weird going on here, and it's it seems to be pretty similar to whatever was originally <clears throat> going on at Skinwalker. Maybe not during. It the does filming, sound like it. You know, old school Skinwalker, where they had the cattle mutilations and they had all these same things going on. The lights on the Mesa are explained the same way as the lights on the Mesa at Skinwalker. Yeah, it's very similar. So it's and and the weird electronic signals and yeah, all of it. Skinwalker baffles me. All all of these conjunctions of things that are that, that have a lot of like government misinformation around them are baffling. So and the government did study Skinwalker for a long time. Yep, they still did. watch over it and still gang stalk people who've been there. Some crazy stuff. So I don't. Yeah, I get again, guys, like I think the, the best takeaway from this is that sometimes the truth is so full of crap that sorting out what it is is hard. And that was the government's purpose. And unfortunately, they seem to be really good at it in this case. So I guess, you know, take things with a grain of salt and try to figure out yeah. what's uh, what's it's government disinformation like, and what's not. That's part of our job, right? Is like figure out what's government disinformation and what's true. And it's hard. Yeah. I, I keep, I keep taking notes and thinking about like all the stuff around all these, all the confirmed, all the true parts of this. And like at some point we're going to figure it out, put the pieces together, but right. Hasn't happened yet. But people got to stop thinking about it. Like people have got to stop listening to Phil Schneider. If we're ever going to get there is my point. They got to stop listening to ju- to Jason Bishop and Phil Schneider and reading Dolce Wars and thinking it's real. That's all crap. It's it's either government disinformation or it's opportunistic people selling books. But there's something weird, and we got to peel it way back to like 1979 and look what was going on then and known then, and not just what was you know pushed on yeah. people. So we're going to go over to rumble real quick. We'll, we'll check out your guys's um, memes and stuff like that. And I have a video uh, from the Mirage men. I want to play you guys about how Paul or sorry, Richard Doty basically kicked off the entire ancient aliens psyop uh, and why. And it's really crazy. It's only a few minutes, but it's really good. Really quickly. I'm going to read your five star reviews. We have uh, we're, we should have two. And I want to say this really quickly. Kelsey read to me what her five star review was. I don't see it on iTunes. So if you guys post them and maybe, maybe it was a different place. If you post a five star review, it's not showing up or if it's on a different site and you want us to read on the show, just take a screenshot of it and send it to us on our discord or email it to conspiracy at gmail.com and we'll, yeah. we'll read it that way. But uh, I, I still don't see it, Kelsey. So I apologize. I can't read it. We got one from Anthony Sylvester that says amazing. I love your podcast. I love the cuss words. Cussing is natural for me and I'm sure it is for you. Keep on doing things. Great job. Appreciate ha. you. Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a point of contention between the people listening to the show. Oh, man. They, they love it or they hate it. But, uh, you know, if, if you hate it, I guess pray for us. Uh, we will, <laughs> if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this, please consider coming over, following us on Rumble, catching the catch the um, full show sometime. Be here with us live. Sorry this was long. Have a great night, everyone. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>